Hey everybody, a couple quick notes before this episode starts. One, I somehow missed the release of Game Club, which happened, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. So I will put a link to the discussion of Hollow Knight in the description of this episode. It was a lot of fun. Next episode, they are going to be doing uh, Transistor, which is a, um, I don't know, an RPG that I played a bit. A friend recommended it to me years ago, and it was like the reason I installed Steam. Um... I could go on about it, but I'll do a less uh, articulate job than Elliot and Ruben, and they'll be covering that episode, um, or that game, on their second episode, which is going to be at, uh, well, I guess that's my local time, but it's going to be Saturday, July 6th, so, or I'm sorry, June 6th, jeez, alright, well, I'm on top of it. Speaking of being on top of it, I also used the wrong microphone for the first seven or eight minutes of this episode, so enjoy the audio dip and then I'll just, it just jumps right into the good qualities. So other than that, thanks, and I uh, hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to We Want More, the Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality fanfiction analysis podcast, which is harder to say than maybe it seems like, a that subsidiary of Doof Media Incorporated. Be sure to check out the calendar on doofmedia.com slash calendar for the release of Game Club, which I still don't have a date for. And as we speak, or not as you hear this, they are recording the last episode of we, uh, We've Got Ward. They're doing a final mailbag episode. Like right which, now, right now? Uh, they start at like 8.30 or something, right. but it's close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I never write in for those, which I should, but I think I feel like I've just got like a back channel where I can ask them anything I want off the air anyway, <laughs> so I'm never quite as like uh, put together as people who put, you know, these nice thought what they write, but anyway, they're doing their last mailbag tonight, so. There you go. Oh, it just occurred to me, I just started talking and didn't say hi or hi, I'm Brian Oh, yeah. Although I think it'd be, it'd be, hi, I'm Brian. Although it would be really weird if somebody came in to listen to the 20 something episode and didn't know who either of us were. <laughs> um, You're like a child that's walked into the middle of a movie with no frame fuck. of reference. Shut the fuck up, Donnie. You're out of your element. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There isn't very much of a, a shoe in for that vibe in, this, in this, these chapters, but there's got to be at some point where I can find a good place to plug that because. That's just too classic of a line. <laughs> no frame of reference. All right, man. So what did you think of these chapters? We did 59, 60, and 61 this week. These were cool. It's kind of, it's neat when, uh, like, just like everything gets rolling and you, so you're just kind of getting swept into the story and it's not, and not so thinky. I like when these times when it's not so thinky. Thinking hurts. The chapter 61 was pretty thinky. What did you think about that one? Uh, how was with the 61? That was the, that was the, uh, basically the trio trying to figure uh, out who's responsible for this. Yeah. Actually that part was kind of, <laughs> I, I do sound like an idiot this week. Uh, that part was confusing. I didn't understand. Um, I think maybe I was in the mood for just, uh, action packed adventure. Cause yeah, that, like a trail off for me. I liked, uh, 5960 better. Right on. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. we'll. We'll talk about what happens in 61, see if we can unpack some of the confusion, see if it's all supposed to be 100% confusing all the time, and 
uh, uh, it's not just you. I'm feeling pretty pretty stupid this week too. So. <laughs> it's it's the quarantine getting to us. I'll say. I mean, luckily, like especially probably for both of us, like we're already pretty accustomed to being alone at home. So it's not like mm-hmm. the you know a huge radical life shift, but like this many weeks of being at home alone, I think has been. Uh, I know. I forgot that like I occasionally go downtown for work, like. Yeah, it was nice. Two months ago, occasionally socializing. Yeah, yours yours was once a week. I was twice a week, yeah. so I had twice the socialization that you did. <laughs> Although my my office had five other people in it, so that's about the same as mine. Okay. Or two hundred people, depending on how you want to count it. But yeah, when I count it as far as coworkers, it's five. When I count it as far as like why I'm not going back to the office for the foreseeable months, <laughs> it's because there's like two hundred people there. Yeah. So two hundred vectors. Yeah. Well, and like you know. I don't know how many places my office has around the country, but I know that it's not the only one in the city or states. People can travel around to different locations. It's not that far from the airport. Like, so they'll be showing restaurants to the airport people. And I'm like, you know what? Sounds like a hotspot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My place is at a WeWork. I don't even know if it's open. I can't imagine. I don't know. Yeah. If if it is open, it must be a graveyard, but (laughs) my place was stupid enough to stay open for like a long time into it. And they were like, oh, no, we're uh, we're sanitizing the building, you know, on the weekends. We're coming through and spraying everything. And then we're having people clean the doorknobs extra. And I'm like, great. So you're sanitizing the building on the weekends. So, like, Monday at lunch, the whole thing's, you know, contaminated again. Like, that's not how I gotta, yeah. work. And I got to think of those, like, shared office spaces. That's already, like, a, you know, a employee base that didn't really need to be there in the first place. Yeah. It's not like that's, you know, your home office or something. So. Yeah, it's madness. Yeah. Speaking of madness, what do you think about escaping from Azkaban on a fucking rocket? <laughs> it was funny. Like I liked that. Uh, it was a cool. So I mean, that part started out like silly, um, and then with like little, things got with a little reflection on how brooms work and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That that and just like his like wacky Mr. Toad's wild ride on the on the broom, trying to like not to kill people and. Um, but yeah, and I like so that part was just sort of like like funny childish and then it moved into like just some badassery so i really i really like these couple chapters yeah i think it's doing a good job like it was doing that a little bit in the last one with like the boomstick and that sort of stuff where like it's kind of uh um like bringing us back into the like this is also a fun story kind of mode yeah while still keeping the plot heavy yeah Um, maybe wonder like as they're because i didn't really wonder at the at the first time but i'm like okay was it so he like glued a rocket or then he got coral to glue a rocket onto his uh to magic a rocket onto his broomstick i was like okay so it's like something maybe it's like bigger than a broomstick but it's something that can be like attached to a broomstick so like it got sort of a, a range of how big a rocket could be i'm like how how long realistically could a rocket of that size you know keep blowing because <laughs> if, if, it felt like they were like flying that thing around for a little while yeah, I mean, it's, I think, th- like, there's definitely a weight limit on brooms, like... Oh, yeah, that's uh, true, too. I, I don't think that you could just tie a unbreakable rope to, I don't know, uh, a tank and lift the tank off, right? Yeah, there you go. But, yeah, I was just wondering, like, how, like, like a rocket just, like, blasting like that, could it go? I mean, it's, like, a full minute? Can it go? Like, how long does it, like, just blast? I don't know. I would think so. I, I got the impression it was a fairly big rocket, um, and it got them... I can't remember how high it got them above the anti-flying the jinx of Azkaban. Yeah. So, um, I think they're above the clouds too. When it when it wore off. I don't know. Yeah, I think. I think right. so. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. It's funny. It's, it's funny. Like the kinds of things that like, like I had that, that was sort of like this idle thought in the back of my head, but like, I completely did not give a shit. I'm like, okay, they're on a silly, like rocket broom. This is not the time to, you know, bust out the lawyers. Um, but it's, it's funny, like what time, because that's not always the case and it's not, can't always tell like why, what is the secret sauce that makes you just not care? Um, cause this was definitely one of them. I think it, like a lot of it, I have to just do with the tone of it just being kind of like silly is kind of the wrong word, but like, it, like you just already know, like this is not to be taken seriously. Just kind of go with it. Yeah. Sorry. I have a, a thing I fucked up here. I'm using the wrong microphone. Okay. So you were saying that the, uh, the, the lawyering on how magic broomsticks work. Uh, yeah, you just like, I guess, because like, just the tone of this is not to be taken seriously. They glued a rocket to a broomstick, and there's three people flying on a broomstick. So, you know, I'm not really worried about the plausibility of the whole thing. <laughs> but I think it's, I think it's the author's proclivity for, like, the last line, and when he's thinking about it, was like, for it is a sad fact that we only ever think about the t- a tiny fraction of the mm-hmm. phenomena we encounter. Um, I yeah, think that's it's true. Because author- even like he went to the point, he like he was plot policing himself about the whole thing, I, and that maybe that's part of it too. Like you're just sort of like you're not worried about it. Like the I, fact that he was plot policing it was sort of like part of the story. Yeah, I, I I think it's less of like plot policing, and I think I think the author really is just having fun with it. Yeah, like. So it's it's less about like worrying about the Reddit horde, you know, saying, "Well, rockets don't work like that," and more of him thinking, "How, how come, you know, when I watch the movies, they're flying around straight and you know, like they're just running." Mm-hmm. Um, I think it. I think it's more just like having fun thinking about that yeah. and the kind of fun idea of like, well, the person who made broomsticks didn't know about Newtonian mechanics, so they worked <laughs> on Aristotelian mechanics. And I think it's also, like the, it's like, it's like the narrator, you know, the author, not like also enjoying, not caring about it. So he's like playing, playing around with it. He's like explaining how ridiculous the whole thing is, but that's sort of like, see, and nobody cares. Like, in a yeah. good way, like this is just funny. I think, I can't remember where it was, but somebody made the same point about Superman that he doesn't keep any of his thrust pointed downward. <laughs> like, <laughs> to like hold himself aloft. Another like, point like for Iron Man. Movie. Iron Man has thrusters. Oh, that's true. That was, uh, I don't think that when uh, when I was a kid, like 1980s, I think it started uh, earlier than that, but in the back, the back page of the Marvel comic books uh, was, it was Stan's soapbox. Stan Lee just would like talk about whatever the fuck he wanted because they hadn't invented blogs yet. But there was also like a thing like you wrote, like anybody that found like little inconsistencies and shit, they would like write in to talk shit about it because that's how comic book fans work. Um, but like the way they like tried to turn that into being not shitty was like the, the game was you could write in with whatever little inconsistency you found, but you had to explain why it wasn't like you had to retcon it or something like, like, so that was like to keep it, to keep it positive. You could say, oh, but it definitely, it would have been this, but, and then they give an explanation. But so that was like every, you know, every issue, every month for all of the different comic books back then. Um, would have people in the back on Stan's soapbox. That's pretty cool. I've seen yeah. some excerpts of Stan's soapboxes. I'll have to see if I can find some actual long, long. That's versions. funny. The, 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 they're really funny because they totally date themselves. Like there was, there was this period where Stanley liked like saying shit in French just because that was this like seventies hipster thing to be doing, and <laughs> it's just funny. I think didn't isn't it true that he settled on the catchphrase Excelsior because everyone kept stealing his other catchphrases? No, was it? No, I don't know about that. I think that might have been it because I think like Nuff said was it for a while. Oh yeah, and then I think he had at least one more, and then he moved to Excelsior, 
which then of course uh south park's uh al gore now uses so <laughs> um yeah, I, I liked the, the little digression on the, the broomsticking. I think it was mainly, like I said, just like having pure fun with it. But it threw yeah. some fun in like the kind of, I, I don't know, it struck, it struck my nerd exactly the way that it likes being uh-huh. stroked. So, um, do, you need to be al- <laughs> do you need to be alone for a minute? No, I think I, I took that time before we started recording. But there's like the, uh, like it's all going really fast. And it's kind of fun because there's like some run on sentences. Like just oh, to yeah, kind of convey. That was a really, yeah, like the whole, I think that part of made it feel like the Mr. Toad's Wild Ride thing because yeah he does and he's pretty good at, he's done this a few times where he does that like run on sentence like frantic thing which feels like a very like I said before like a very internet way of writing um, but it really works I like that it's funny yeah like so it's when he's thinking about the difference between the physics of how broomsticks and mm-hmm. rockets work it's like uh, he, there was no time to think about all that instead there was only time to activate the wordless concepts like crap and <laughs> Newton <laughs> just shakes fist yeah. Newton the one thing I did notice about a little semi less less funny um was like he is very in the moment like as he's like you know crashing that thing around and he's about to you know run into shit or run into other people like he has these very and I think maybe I'm I was thinking about it more because he's like there with you know Quirrell on Quirrell on board that his like his knee jerk don't think about it instinct when he sees he's about to hurt someone is to try very hard not to um and so that just sort of stuck out as very it's very not quarrel of him um and that and how like not planned it was it's like just the thing he does on autopilot literal autopilot oh i you mean like harry did that because yeah harry yeah yeah harry like when he's like he's worried about like he's about to like blast into an or like he without thinking about it goes to a lot of trouble to not hurt anybody yeah that um, seems perfectly like in his, character for harry yeah no, no that's what i was saying like and it was it's sort of like interestingly like stood out maybe just because of all our interaction with quarrel and us just watching that quarrel was going to be totally cool with killing somebody um that it was interesting to see it like and that it wasn't that it wasn't a premeditated thing on harry's part it was just like his his baseline is go to a lot of trouble not to hurt people just because you shouldn't hurt people yeah i i totally agree i think that harry operates subconsciously maybe consciously on like the like basically like a comic book superhero which makes all that stanley yeah. talk super relevant actually um let's I pretend that's that, why huh let's pretend that's why i started exactly. talking about stanley <laughs> yeah i think um the whole like let's not hurt civilians let's uh um i certainly not kill people like that that's definitely uh i mean i think that's everyone's ethics but i think harry takes it since he kind of lives his life like a story um that that's just how he he rolls you know yeah. um let's see there was the so like they're they're up there and there's this actually great line so he's um once they get above the clouds and then uh yeah you're right they were above the clouds when the rocket wore out and then there's this funny line of like uh so like when things slow down that's when he's thinking of all the stuff about physics and all that and then he says that he's never going to do anything this gryffindor again Mm -hmm. unless unless at least not until after he learned the dark lord's secret of immortality and why had he listened to professor queerness (laughs) i assure you boy i would not attempt this if i did not anticipate my own survival Quirrell instead mm-hmm. of Professor Michael. Son, if you ever do anything with rockets on your own, and I mean anything whatsoever without a trained professional watching, you will die and that'll make mom sad. Barris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> that will make mom sad. 
and that's that's the dad way of saying that'll make me sad mm-hmm. um and then there's that one line cutaway to amelia shrieking what at a mirror oh yeah yeah and, and then the other part they uh and then it kind of gets like a bit of a downer when like bellatrix is uh she's like what's that and she's like what do you mean what what's what and he's like you mean the sun that's the sun bellatrix um and she also like and it was so it was also kind of a funny image too because she like can't move her hand so she's just kind of like pointing with her fingers i was like oh and those are what and she's like those are clouds um but that like totally bums harry out he's like oh she's like that even like sun and clouds are too much of a happy thought for her to have held on to them yeah the um the the i mean that is heartbreaking to imagine that someone's been mind fucked enough to where like they feel the warmth and the the light of the sun on them and they're like what is yeah. that thing and it's like oh my god you poor creature uh it's that's right after um he oh yeah she fixes his hearing because he's sitting there freaking out that his ears might be broken forever uh-huh. um and then <laughs> uh when so the her last her last words that i guess we hear her say um is like she's looking at the clouds and she's just like pretty pretty and, and then, then she like and then the harry, meth and then she meth crashes right but harry looks back and sees the wand dangling lifelessly from her unmoving hand and all caps you've got to be kidding me like <laughs> like they got her out of there they moved mountains they dodged dumbledore himself and she just fucking ups and dies on him mm, oh that's yeah. right yeah because there's like a few minutes there he's he's trying to think oh i can't stop to like do cpr on her we're on a broom i get like flashing back to like how ridiculous the whole like image would look with like you know, Harry and Bellatrix with like a snake around her neck, like unrealistically crammed onto a broom together. Which, by the well, way, I think it's, super it's supposed to be a two-seater broom. Which I don't <laughs> yeah, think they had in the canon. How does that work? I think it's like, but like the canon version had this. I, it I has guess like a harness or something too. That she's yeah, they, like had, they had harnesses and they had straps to, in the movies. So I think that a two-seater broom is just a longer broom with two sets of straps. And mm. I'm assuming a butt cushion. There's no way there's not something to make it more comfortable to sit on. This is again why it's valuable that we're in the I don't care mode of the story. <laughs> well, I mean, I care very like, much what? about about proper posture. And if they're sitting on a fucking stick, then that's insane. Yeah. The first person to slap a, a squishy bicycle seat on there would be a millionaire. <laughs> it's funny how like, I don't know if it says like a lot about probably just about Helena Bonham Carter's acting ability that like she that is exactly who i'm picturing like more or less so like other characters i mean they are like their character but i don't like but as far as like that is who bellatrix black slash lestrange is yeah i i've been picturing her character the whole time they did a good job making her look all pale and corpsey in the movies too so um Um, yeah it's funny because i was like not even like harry or hermione they're not like you know definitely the characters from the movie in my head but yeah even Bellatrix. alan rickman who delivered like a perfect performance like i picture this snake yeah. is younger because he's supposed to be like 30 something i guess well and yeah and he's maybe it's just what i'm remembering from these chapters but he's he seems also like more badass like sort of more he's, actively badass like in the movies he was more sort of like passively like implied badassery uh but here you like see him being like yeah he's he's yeah he's, he's not just menacing he also yeah. seems super competent too yeah yeah and um anyway story-wise so harry's like Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and assume that, you know, uh, I, I guess I should probably just snap this thing. Quirrell was going to tell me how far I was supposed to go before we were out of the boards, but he's also unconscious because of course he is. And uh, he's just deliberating like, okay, well, um, 
I it's possible to recover from the use of not using the the port key than it is to like have her sit there. You know, if she's not mm-hmm. breathing, we need to get her to heal her right away. So he snaps the twig, and which turns uh, out to be the right thing to have done. Yes, luckily it works. Um, I imagine his recovery from that mistake would be just flying around until Quirrell woke up and was like, "Hey, I broke the stick. I need a new one." And then Quirrell would have the other backup one or something. So then there's the. This, this actually took me like three reads to figure out what was going on here. So I'll just read the part when it's... So cut away back to uh, Amelia Bones. It says, There was a thunderous boom from behind a nearby metal door, causing Amelia to drop the mirror she was holding and spin around with her wand in hand. Then the door burst open to reveal Albus Dumbledore, standing there in front of a great smoking hole in the prison wall. I'm not sure why I took three reads, but... I wasn't sure yeah, if like, that funny. was the door booming open or if that was like within the door I don't know if, again. Yeah, I don't so, know if maybe that he still had like the there was something about the visual from last chapter of where he just like blew a hole through the wall with like some like giant bazooka flame that turned into a flying bird. Like there was something like so super badass about that visual that like some more shit blowing up. I'm like, oh, that must be Dumbledore. But, yeah, no, I mean, I knew what it was. I just, for some reason, I thought it was him blowing the door open or something, but then it wasn't because the door opens. But no, it's like he's, rather than walk back to her uh, headquarters in the Azkaban or whatever, he just starts punching through walls and yeah. gets in there. And he's like, all right, is there a fast way to leave? And she's like, no, broomsticks. And he's like, all right, then I require your fastest broomstick. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I, probably that's my favorite part of these chapters this week are like just how badass Dumbledore is he's, he's like he's less menacing this time but still like super like just he is a very powerful wizard it wasn't disheartening in our first couple interactions with him when he seemed to be nothing but totally insane I know yeah I was like oh, I can't do this so yeah it's cool yeah when well, I like because it's it's not like oh I guess Dumbledore is nice and I was just misunderstanding like I'm still not sure what the hell to make of him um which I'm oh, yeah. sort of like I'm enjoying just... not knowing what to make of him but yeah, I just, I just meant as far as like when he was first introduced yeah. in the story, he's just full on crazy. Yeah. And, and it looked like he seemingly. Like, yeah, there was a danger of him just being sort of a trivial like prop in the story. Yeah, but instead they've just made him like, I mean. He's like a total wild card. You like, don't know what the fuck is going on with him. So. Yeah, you're, you're rolling Gandalf and Yoda and some other ancient badass all into one. I guess Dumbledore. And Dumbledore, I'm trying to think of like some like, oh, and uh, what's his name? Doctor whatever from uh, from Back to the Future. Doc Brown? Doc Brown. He's kind of that too. Yeah, a little bit. Maybe that, so, that like, whole eccentricity. Scatter, yeah, scattered and weird. Right. Um, okay, yeah. So I wanted to, a couple other little parts here. Um, well, basically, oh, no, so sorry. I It, it did another cut back to Harry and it just is yeah. him being... Uh, port keyed away and then cut back to Dumbledore and it's, it's easy for me to lose track when I'm just skimming at it and then Amelia's like who's behind it and he says one of two people I know not at this instant who if the first then we are in trouble if the second we are we are in far greater trouble this would have been one of those scenes if it was like f- for television where it would have been on a really bad green screen where they're like pretending to ride on brooms while having a conversation that totally shouldn't work with the audio and I don't know. Picturing it, you mentioned Back to the Future. They did the like at the scene at the end when they're like shouting over the the loud weather. Oh, uh, you had that. That that's how, that's how I'm picturing this. Oh, okay. I think wasn't there some there was some I think some sidelong mention of and then magic made it possible for them to hear each other or something like that. But, um, but yeah, not here anyway. I don't think it was just one of those like let's take this moment of travel between two distant locations to do some plot exposition. 
Oh, I mean, this isn't plot exposition, is it? This is. Well, it was, I mean, no, it was, it was like Dumbledore then saying like, oh, I'm worried. He's like vague about what it might be, but he's basically like, oh, this might be Voldemort or, I don't, or mysterious other thing. Um, but he's just sort of like very forebodingly going, oh, shit's about to go south. Yeah, it's I, I, I like the seriousness of it. And like we recognize the the flesh of the servant, the blood of the enemy yeah. and the, the bone of the ancestor um, as the spell that brought Voldemort back yeah. in the fourth Harry Potter book. Now, I guess I hadn't thought about that. Did did that read to you as a thing that Amelia Bones would have understood? Like, no, it just sounds like a dark ritual. No, because, uh, yeah, I guess because in my head, because we all knew that, I just kind of like slopped that together that, oh, okay, she would know what that means too. I guess it's not No, there's, there's a short important. line where it says that that sounded like a, the darkest of dark rituals and sent her in the Dark Lord himself, but she doesn't say, oh my mm. God, that's Voldemort's resurrection ritual. Yeah. And then she asks, well, if, and if it's the other, then the old wizard face now even grimmer said nothing and only shook his head, which we know at this point he's thinking yeah. that the other person has to be Harry. So he's got his two candidates and he's freaking out because it's like, well, both of these options really, really suck. Well, Scott, there's only so many like A-list actors in this movie, so it has to be Harry or that's, Voldemort. It's got to be like Dumbledore talking about like, you know, the rhythm of the world and kind exactly. of the story first thinking of things that's probably part legitimately part of his <laughs> uh his algorithm on this right <laughs> there are no other sufficiently attractive people that we know about that could be of significance to the plot it's like when you're watching one of those recipe of the week like murder mystery shows and like oh there's a famous actor okay yeah oh, they okay. must have done it exactly yeah um anyway so i what do you think of so then we get to the part where harry uh and the unconscious bellatrix and quirrell all arrive at the healer's place somewhere where the sun is rising rather than setting, so some yeah. hours away. And I, as far as like Harry's whole interaction with her and all the stuff that goes on there. Um, I thought it was, uh, again, a, like a weird a weird vibe to it. I, like, so it's Miss, Miss slash Dr. Kimball Bunker, which is an awesome bullshit name. It sounds like um, a made-up name. Know, exactly. Mrs. Made-up name. Um, they, they called her Miss Kimball Bunker, and then Dr. Kimball Bunker, she's totally came off as a, as a Mrs. Vibe with an apron, but, um, I'm picturing like exactly Professor Bunker. Sprout for some reason. I, you know, that's exactly, that's what I was doing too. Oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. I, I feel like Harry would have recognized Professor Sprout, yeah. so it's probably <laughs> not her, <laughs> but like, so I, I guess it's because she's very medicine-y, so. That's a good point. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was sort of like, uh, I think as I was typing up the notes, I'm like, oh, she keeps calling him Jeremy. She doesn't know, like, or yeah, she doesn't know his real name. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, Quarrel's probably not his real name either. Um, so that was like a little, it's funny, like, you like check these things of, like, the things that seem strange to you in the moment just because you don't think about them too hard. But um, like, no, he's really Quarrel. I'm like, you know, he's not actually really Quarrel either, probably. Um, but so, so they, a lot of that sort of like, you know, she calls him Jeremy. He, there's like some implied history between them, but they're not all buddy buddy. Like she clearly doesn't trust him either, but they're sort of semi allies. Um, and she's doing this for a big bag of money. Oh yeah, the goodness of her heart. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's got sort of that like crime caper vibe to it of like you know you just found your the dude it's gonna you know who's got the getaway car ready for you to drive off in or something. Um, yeah, that that sort of vibe. Plus, like the you know, is this person a double agent or something? If you're going oh, like the yeah, crime yeah. movie, uh, yeah, that cause, was, yeah, because so yeah, because Harry's having like more of his like conversations with his inner houses, 
and um and he's decided that like oh it's been interesting like the other like harry's been sort of harry's starting to be a little kind of hyper competent um these couple chapters too but so like his little inner voices are like oh this is bullshit like this is a there is a this is a performance being put on for my benefit um and which is interesting because like i i don't think there was enough there for you like for me to have picked up on that like there wasn't anything obviously like you know performancy about how she was acting but like but that's like what's going on in the back of harry's head and he's being sort of really like analytical about it too what I like about that is that even he's thinking to himself, like, um, you know, would I be more likely to infer that like a, a real doctor is uh, going to act like a doctor yeah. um, if that's what I'm looking for? And uh, yeah, and he's like I, doubting his like his his inner Ravenclaw is doubting his inner Slytherin and right his inner critic. I give it yeah. two and a half out of five stars. He's <laughs> probably not a very experienced actor. Exactly. And what I like about this is like so Harry's like in shock. And it's it describes how like he's he his voice sounds distant to himself and he's like it, oh yeah I like this quote because this this also kind of feels like we're talking about kind of like what depression is like in Azkaban and this mm-hmm. is what to me a, a depressive episode feels like on the inside for myself like watching a television show that was how it felt like watching a television show whose characters didn't particularly empathize with that was all that could be seen and felt from behind those glass walls and. Like he, there's just this kind of like distance between him and the outside world. Yeah, you know, I thought I had gotten caught up. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't taken it that way. I think because like right, I think right before that quote, the quote I pulled was it was right. I think right as yeah, it's right as they kind of. <laughs> I was about to say pull up in the car, pull up in the broom uh, to Mrs. Campbell Bunker. Um, that's Doctor Campbell Bunker. Doctor Mrs. Doctor um, Professor Campbell Bunker. Um, I, I can't remember. Uh, he's like, Oh, who's this? That's not, that's not Jeremy or, or something. Um, but the, then the quote was as though it wasn't Harry who spoke, but some other part of himself behind yet another pane of glass, a whisper came from his lips. And that's, so he just sort of, again, kind of natural. They, they described it different. It wasn't like the high cold, um, you know, voice thing that's usually described for how Voldemort talks, but um, but it's again, like, he's like, it's super easy for him to do it. But this, there's a, there've been a bunch of places. I think that like the, the hints are getting louder. Um, but this was another one where like, he's, um, like some other part of himself. Um, so is it, so I got caught up in that as like, okay, there is whatever this split personality, Horcrux, Harry is Voldemort thing that seems to be developing. Like I, I kind of latched onto that, but like, so I kind of lost the point that, that you made that like, oh, it's also like just a good tie in with the whole kind of desolation of of Azkaban and what that would do to him. OK, yeah, uh, no, I see what you're saying. I didn't. Uh, yeah, clearly I didn't take it that way, but I, I do like that reading. Um, yeah, no, I think it was like just a lit. It was like a small thing, but it was because it was like it's now this thing I'm sort of like keying in on. So I, I had this like, aha, another hint about whatever this is going on between with Harry and Voldemort. Um, that like then I was like so fixated on that that I didn't notice the thing that you noticed like I think it was just like same paragraph or a few sentences after that yeah it, it's it's all in the same yeah. part of the section anyway but it's I like I said I read it more just like I mean he's coming down from the adrenaline high and the um, I don't know you're in you're in kind of like battle mode or whatever yeah. you call it when you're in a high stress situation now that all that's wearing off 
he's like i think now all this stuff is starting to kind of just hit home for him and mm-hmm. not to mention the like legit physical exhaustion yeah. and so i just kind of read this as just like pure shock um but his brain you know still running on autopilot in the background so he's able to you know yeah, it's just kind of numb yeah. yeah and then i do like the bit where um the doctor's going to take off with bellatrix and Kroll's like oh hold up a second and he obliviates her and she's like, that's it. And then she just, I'm taking <laughs> her out here before you can do any more damage and right. apparates away. It's funny, like, there have been, that was one of the few times where, uh, and it becomes, it's significant in a couple chapters, um, where we see, like, how it's both, so Quirrell is thoroughly fucked up and weakened, uh, but also, like, he's also super powerful. So this is what, you know, he could just casually, like, toss an obliviate out there. Um, and it's still no problem, but it's, you know, at least we see, like, oh, he's he's really weak. Um, yeah, I don't think yeah. that he stands up this whole time. I think he stays yeah. on the ground. Yeah, he's like either next chapter or the one after that, where like, because I'm like, wait a minute, Snape was able to stun him. I'm like, oh yeah, Snape was able to stun him because he's like fucked up right now. I got the impression that Obliviate wasn't that hard of a spell because Bellatrix Obliviated the R. Yeah, and so she's got to be. Um, I did like that yeah. quote from a uh, Quirrell where it's like, you know, you'd be wise to fear me even if I was nine tenths dead too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, even assuming Bellatrix is operating at 5% power, uh, she can still do an Obliviate. Um, so I, I don't think it's like a particularly impressive magical yeah. feat, but it's still like, yeah, he's, he's still doing stuff, but not able to stand. Yeah. I, do yeah, like I think the, what I took from this was it was sort of like, yes, he's still able to do this, but I don't know for sort of like it sort of, get, it was like a barometer for, yes, he can still do this, but it's not quite as, you know, completely a gimme as, you know, it's not like this casual, just like, oh, you know, he sneezed and did this thing. It's, you know, I guess we're like, we're st- it's a moment for us to go, oh, Quirrell is really powerful because as fucked up as he is, he can still do this. Like probably most people would just not be able to do anything. <laughs> he sneezed and did a thing. Um, <laughs> I no, have I such like a that. good way with words. No, no, I, I, I think that's super appropriate. Um, the I, I like the presence of mind that they both have. Harry's kind of realizing, I think, that he's like, oh, you know what? I uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna faint here in a few seconds. And Quirrell was like, leave your cloak on, use the last port key that t- takes you to our fallback refuge. Mm-hmm. And so like they're you know he's not even saying you know keep it together, man, or whatever. He's yeah. just like, all right, yep, you're gonna pass out. Uh, make sure you do it in a safe spot. <laughs> and, um, apparently, it takes him to a deserted Muggle-looking warehouse, mm-hmm. and he passes out. And then we get that cut back to Amelia Bones and uh, Dumbledore. Oh, wait, or did we skip the... Uh... Oh, yeah, no, we cut back, but no, there was a... I think This, I think, was one of the bigger quotes where uh, that set off my paranoia. So, like, I guess after... Oh, yeah, so it's after... It's, it's before he's saying, okay, I'm going to go pass out, but, um, but after Camel Bunker leaves, um, Harry says, how many different people are you anyway? Because he's noticing, he's like, oh you know, she knows you by a completely different name and, uh, and, and he sees like, oh, this, this, like all this apparent history, um, there that he like has no idea what's going on with it. So he says, how many different people are you anyway? And Coral says, I cannot say that I bothered keeping count. How many are you? <laughs> um, it shouldn't have shaken the inner Harry so much hearing that response. And yet he felt, he felt unstable, like his own center had been subtracted. Um, so there's, yeah, there's been these, like, these things are kind of getting louder uh to what so i still don't i don't know what's like being implied but like there's there's a a constellation of ideas forming around harry is in pieces harry and quarrel are connected harry's got an inner voldemort 
Um, the pieces have something, you know, Harry is like a horcrux or something. Harry's a piece of Voldemort or uh, it feels like, like it's some kind of very, it's, I think it's like not quite the same as, because there was just that sort of like psychic connection thing in the original books of, through Harry's scar. But that was just sort of like it like connected them. They could like read each other's minds. So it's like something like that. But it's, it feels like it's, it's more than that because it's kind of like it's not that like, oh, the. Yeah, I don't know. So there's some something going on there. And then I have my totally paranoid um, idea I have is which it doesn't I could I can poke holes in it. So I know it's not completely right. But um, is that because there's there's also we saw it a lot here. There's a lot about, about time travel. Um, but it seemed like the time travel stuff, besides just kind of like the pragmatic stuff with the time turner, it seems like like there's a lot of 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 time spent thinking about time travel. Um, so my paranoid little theory was like, okay, Quirrell and Harry are like Quirrell is Harry from the future or something. It doesn't work, like because then the whole background of like Voldemort and and what did he do during the war and blah blah blah. Um, but that there's some like time travel connection between Harry and Quirrell, and that they're both. It's, again, like this theory doesn't work, but that they are, they are the same person and they are Voldemort. Um, and something like, and that's part of whatever Quirrell's weird attachment and mission for Harry is because in Quirrell's like psychopath, you know, self-involved way, it's like, that's the only person he could care about is because they are the same person. Um, but I don't like, there's all kinds of inconsistencies in that idea. So I don't know where that like, so I think there's like something going on there, but like that, that theory is way off in a lot of ways, but I don't know. There's some, that's kind of where my, my spider sense is taking me. No, I really like it. Obviously I can either confirm or deny. <laughs> it's clearly but, the most uh, important part. Yeah. That's obviously the most important part of the story. No, I think uh, it's, I, I do um, like the one part I can comment is the, the part from the text. And, well, I do like, uh, I mean, conspiratorialize and tinfoil hat as much as you want. I think that makes this a lot of fun because this mm. story definitely lends itself to that. Um, I, I do like the the line that you pulled out, and I didn't mean to blow past it, where um, Quirrell just says, I never bothered keeping count. How many mm-hmm. people are you? And it's like he doesn't realize like how much that like would impact Harry. Yeah. Um, it, like, yeah, that's what stood out. Harry, like, Harry sees it, him as like, but you're you're my professor, Quirrell. Yeah. You're not just like all these random people. And it seems like Quirrell's saying like, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm all kinds of people, man. I, I, I haven't even bothered keeping track. And I think... I think my reading of it is that bum that bugs Harry so much because it's like, wait, is Quirrell like not who you like? Are you just pretending to be like this awesome defense professor? Or is that like another one of your characters? Like, I think that's what really bums him out is that like, he, I don't know. I'm trying to imagine an analogous situation for real life, but you don't really meet anyone like Professor Quirrell in real yeah. life. But you know, like somebody that you knew for years, and you they're... just find out something completely out of character about somebody. Yeah, yeah, and then they nonchalantly, they're like, oh, yeah, that's not even the weirdest shit I do. And it's like, yeah. oh, damn. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I mean, like, I told, that totally makes sense from, like, that point of view is kind of more more makes sense the, than the way I took it. But, like, there was something about, um, uh, it was, like, as, that it was just sort of a clever, snarky thing to say. is like, well, how many different people are you? Um, or how many are you? Um, that Harry could have just taken that as, like, a snarky retort um, so for me, it's, it stood as like, okay, why did that bother him? Because like, it seemed to bother him more than it should have. Um, although that, except the way you saw that, 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 in that way, it does sort of make sense. I don't, I'm not sure, I don't, maybe just like my head is too much in paranoid space around it, but like I saw this, like, oh, there's great significance to this. 
So no, I think that's good. I think you'll you'll find a lot of of legit stuff in paranoid yeah. space. Um, <laughs> oh, the, and also maybe so. Then that was the other thought um, I had around all this. There's some I don't know if like the way something was phrased or whatever, but this that little comment or whatever, I was like, oh, there's great meaning here. Um, but it also made me like, like what, whatever that connection between um, Harry and Quirrell is, that if it had, if there was like a time travel tie-in or something to it, because there was also what we're about to get into um, with Dumbledore is a lot of fixation on paradoxes and like the dangers of, of dealing with that. And I'm like, oh, that might have something to do with the source of like the sense of doom and the reason why like the world will end if um, Harry's magic and Quirrell's magic interact that that could have some sort of like time travel tie in because they're the same person, something, something, I don't know. Again, it's like only a half-baked thought that doesn't completely work, but because there's sort no, of like, like if, if they are the same person, that's inherently a paradox that like, so who knows? No, that's tight. I think that's really cool. Um, there was, uh, I was just trying to think of like the, the question, how many people are you when he kind of, you know, shoots that back at Harry, like Harry has played some people already, right? Like when he was, kind of coaxing draco before they had their real like mm. uh their their heart their actual heart to heart under the stars the patronus charm and all that like before all that he was just legitimately like i will put on the air of somebody trying to you know uh seduce him with the you know the appeal of science and this and that and uh while he's still you know using the name harry potter it still seems like maybe he's yeah. hitting that same sort of vibe of like oh yeah you're, you're playing a character here yeah. too yeah, I think like there's been all this stuff I've been keying off of like the ideas of people being multiple things, like Harry, you know, having his little inner arguments with his inner houses, and just a lot of like descriptions of people being split on the inside, or or you know, people being multiple things, or people being or parts of. He talks a lot about like a part of his soul. Um, so there's like this recurring imagery, this Horcruxy kind of imagery of people being like split apart or being many things at the same time. But it keeps like whenever I see something like that, I'm like, ah, oh, what's going on there? But nice. No, I love it. I think that's tight. Um, then we get that cut back to uh, unless you anything else you want to elaborate yeah. on there, or do you want to wrap up with the Amelia Bones bit? Amelia Bones. This is good. Oh. Yeah. No. This. Yeah. So then we like cut back to their like they're flying on their brooms, um, and just as they're they're clearing the wards, um, like as soon as they're there, like Dumbledore's just like, okay, poof. Um, and he tells her that it's like, okay, I'm going to go. Does he say, I can't remember. Like, does he, he says, I'm going to go back in time and try to protect Harry. Um, yeah. Which is just, I mean, on its face with nothing else, you know, thinking about it, that's like just a super badass thing to say. I know. Well, yeah. And then, it, and then he just like suddenly like, you know, disappears along with his, um, Patronus just previously. And like, it's like the moment they cross the, the barrier that he, where he can, he's, then he's just out of there. So it's, yeah. Like another demonstration, of like uber powerful, uh, Dumbledore, but I was it was this also our first was was that the first reveal was like oh apparently Dumbledore can just travel through time also oh or did we already I, know that um, he's not going through time here he's just apparating so no like, but does, the, he announces that he's going to doesn't he well he says that's what I'm going to do but yeah. first he apparates because we see him in the next I think in the chapter after this one um, or maybe the next chapter where he's going to ta- travel through time. Um, this is just so they feel themselves or I guess Amelia feels them at the edge of the wards like they I guess if you're a powerful enough wizard or have enough uh, training, you can tell where wards are or, some, you know, uh, and assuming other magical cool stuff. But Dumbledore could feel it, too. So he says that then he teleports away with an appar- appar- apparition, 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 yeah. um, 
That's not him traveling through time, though. I, I think he definitely needs a time turner because he goes no, no, to no, go not, use it. Yeah, no, not that he just like can, but because he does tell her that that's what he's going to do, right? Yeah, yeah, he says, I'm going to go back and try and travel yeah, no. and protect Harry Potter. Yeah, and no, it he, wasn't. He, yeah, I wasn't thinking it was like, oh, he can just like cast a spell and travel in time. But um, but just that like, oh, like he gets to do that. Like he's got a time turner as well and he can just kind of do whatever the fuck he wants. Oh, yeah. That is the first time we know that he has a time yeah. turner. But of course he would, right? Yeah, of course he would. Yeah. Yeah. I just sort of like it was like a uh, kind of an example of like we're, we're putting no like plot limits around Dumbledore. He can just do whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. No, that, that's a good point. Um, I, I guess it, it's. Because I already, I guess, knew it and didn't think much about it. It didn't really occur to me on how, like, casually badass that is. Yeah, but yeah of course. Um, he's like, no, no, I'm going to go back in time. And, and uh, which is not a sentence most people get to say, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, okay. Now I get what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think, and we're about to see, like, and then when he pops up in Diagon Alley, we get to, like, he is just, so he's like, his internal dialogue was that, you know, well, when I saw it, when I was monitoring on my instruments and saw Harry here, and it's just this, like, casual half a sentence that gets dropped that like apparently Dumbledore's just got this little magic television somewhere where he can just sort of like spy on random shit all over the world because he's Dumbledore and he wants to oh yeah his instruments yeah his instruments that's right well I remember one of them counts the let's call them sneezes of left-handed wizards when the borders of France <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> which I I know I, I don't think we have anything in the story to contradict uh Rowling's retcon that uh Dumbledore, I said, I was going to say Gandalf, that Dumbledore is, <laughs> uh, is gay, but I, 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 it's still my sort of headcanon that he, that he did the primary research to prove what that device did himself. <laughs> but I, I obviously, you know, I, it's neither here nor there. I'd like to think that, you know, in his younger days, he's like, I'm doing this for science. <laughs> for science. <laughs> or wizard science, for, for magic, for science, yeah. Well, I think the next, I think when he's telling him about that device, he does say, you won't, you won't believe how much work it took to figure that out. And I'm like, (laughs) that's hilarious. (laughs) He was like, yeah, man, I was pinging broads all over the world. The number kept only going up a little. Then as, and then I realized some of them were left-handed. So of course, some more primary research was necessary to test the (laughs) hypothesis. Dumbledore in the 1860s was a player. Yes. I guess I'm not sure how old he's supposed to be. Something hundred and change, hundred right? something, something. I think that that's probably like nailed down because it's like how old is Jude Law and what year was that in Grindelwald? But <laughs> I, I can't be bothered. Yeah, it's old. yeah. We'll we'll uh, we'll put a pin in that and move on to chapter sixty, which begins with the word "wake," and wake. it's just uh, quarrel. He says, "You must awaken." I give you as much time as I could, but it would be wise to reserve at least one use of your time turner. Soon we must go backward four hours to Mary's place, appearing in every way as though we've done nothing interesting this day. I wished to speak to you before then. Yeah, I was like totally surprised. I guess like at work, but I'm like, wait a minute. Like they're still within that six hour window that they can just like undo all the time that just went by. Because a lot of plot has happened in the last few hours. Yeah, I forget. So, I think Harry says the point at somewhere that it felt like two weeks. Yeah. Um, which yeah, I wonder, like, and I believe I it was like, oh, I guess it is. But That'd be funny if that's how long it took these episodes to come out and the release. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be funny. Uh, yeah, no, as I was again, I'm like, oh, I guess there has, it only has been a certain amount of time. So, like, my reaction was, like, also surprised, but like, oh, I guess it really only has been a few hours. It was something like two weeks between these chapters, maybe a month. That's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's crazy that they, they went and did all this shit, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's only been four hours. We need to get back. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess maybe five, because they went back in time an hour before leaving, right? 
yeah. Yeah. So he's still got five spins left, and they're going to use four of them to get back and do this. So, um, so, so Harry wakes up, and yeah. his first thought is like, oh my god, what a horrible place. I guess it's sort of like now that he's been able to decompress for a little bit, now he can freak out about everything that's happened. Yeah, I think um, he had like a, I don't know if you've ever been like an emergency, and I'm sure you have yeah. probably, where like you've been like in a crisis, and like there's no time to emote during that, so you're like, let me resolve this, and then afterwards it's like... You like lose your shit oh, and hyperventilate. Okay. And, yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think this is his period for that. Plus, he like had to keep himself in that sort of engaged mode this whole time because if he did freak out when he isn't Azkaban, he probably would have lost his resistance to the Dementors. Yeah. So like, he had a not just a I'm in crisis mode. I need to keep my keep my head in the game, but like a if I don't keep my head in the game, I will die. So mm-hmm. uh, now that now that all that's able to come down, now he's like just finally losing it, and he's remembering that woman who's like you know. Uh, oh yeah that was there was something i think because it, it repeated it because he was rep- like repeating in his head uh her dialogue about oh please don't die but the line yeah. that uh the line that got me again he said like oh i can't remember the names of my children there's something about that reading that i'm like oh that is just fucked up like that was, that was like extra creepy i don't know if that's like oh i'm a parent thing or or whatever but like that idea i don't know something about like the combination of like knowing that there's a thing missing that's that you can't feel was really like creepy and fucked up and macabre. Yeah, man. I uh, I, I imagine it does hit harder because you're a parent. Yeah. But like the the knowledge that you have children, mm-hmm. and as their names are gone, you know that you've forgotten their names, and probably you're forgetting their faces, yeah. and you're just like you're. And that that's where Harry's at. So he's remembering that woman begging to him, using telling him all this, and he's that was the second time that he was going to nuke Azkaban and then didn't. But yeah. Um, like it he, so now he's at a point where he's just like you know i think he says what was that place that wasn't a prison that was hell and uh it's like a, it, he's now at a point where he can properly freak out about how fucked mm-hmm. up that is yeah and then i think like this turns into the into like an opportunity for us to to see how what an what an asshat uh coral is like cuz he has so he has this very coral response to all of that and it's sort of a very like almost it was like a a lazy kind of cynicism about people he's like oh yeah because people just suck and that's why you know of course wizards would build that because you know people are awful and they'll do awful things like it felt like a very and i think like it it fit um i think like the way that we like this is a way to see that i mean yes he seems super competent and intimidating but he's evil and has shitty evil attitudes about stuff um, and so he kind of goes through like a very kind of, uh, mansplainy lecture at Harry about, you know, the evils of politics and tough on crime, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but at least for me, like my takeaway from this was like, oh, let's, let's just all remind that like, <clears throat> this guy is a psycho murderer, um, <laughs> with, you know, shitty attitudes about people. Um, and so like when Harry's like, <clears throat> Harry's legitimately freaking out, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in a way that's like, you know, he's like feeling his own empathy towards fellow humans. Um, but, you know, and Quirrell's just, you know, going along with his, you know, his usual, you know, uh, aspiring Fuhrer of England vibe. Yeah. I think it's like, it's less, um, I mean, it certainly adds some, uh, I don't know what you call it, I guess, uh, 
from from if you put on your your coral glasses it certainly makes his whole like oh yeah isn't like a, a dictatorship awesome because then if you didn't like azkaban you could get rid of it yeah um and, and, and that to me felt very it felt very star wars like come to the dark side um <laughs> like with this yeah. like very transparently you know this temptation that's pretty you know seems pretty transparently intentional yeah the temptation to go to the dark side would be a lot more appealing if the jedi had azkaban though yeah right? yeah that's true i mean and and it's it this gets it like vaguely real world politicky but if you sub out azkaban for the prison system like oh, yeah. the analogy works perfectly and it's like oh yeah let's throw them in jail for 15 years 20 30 yes we're hard on crime yes fuck those guys yeah because no one thinks they're gonna get in trouble yeah we get and that goes yeah and he's pretty that part's pretty explicit about it i mean he basically describes the same thing with uh wizard politicians as what you know what us muggles in the real world politicians also do yeah Um, and like it kind of makes you wonder like it's and it's weird because like i don't like the fact that the prison system exists i know that right now there are kids dying in cages and covid and on the border mm -hmm. and uh like that's that's a horrible fact of reality and yet i'm doing fuck all about it right i'm not even losing sleep over it and like that, it sucks, but that makes me feel like Professor Quirrell's kind of right about me. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> well, I, you know, it's weird. like my take, and I don't know if like it could be you, you have the better takeaway from it, but like mine was because everything he said was a like, I mean, that wasn't the first time you'd heard any of that before, was it? I mean, like we've heard that speech a lot, um, that it was sort of, like my read of it was this is really easy, to, like you know, entropy is on the side of the cynic and these are just sort of like really easy, lazy things to say about how shitty humanity is. And, and you can give like the very not at all hard, you know, argument to put together about how politics is fucked up and blah, blah, blah. And like, for me, the takeaway from that was these are all signs of, you know, that Quirrell slash Voldemort is a bad person. Um, and that, like and these are you know really kind of lazy simple ways to look at like the failure of humanity and just decide like then you can just write it all off and it's like oh because people suck people have always sucked people always will suck politicians are evil and that's why bad shit happens fuck fuck people who cares like that's like this super like nihilist way of looking at it and that was kind of like my take from it was because all this i mean like you agree with like the content of that or like how like the tough on crime legislation blah blah happens but um but it also just makes it like really easy to just write off all the problems you know that are happening as oh well people suck so, well and, and i think that's what's fun is that the author is containing kind of both of those yeah. mindsets and in, in these two characters because harry's like didn't it ever occur to you like maybe fucking do something about yeah, it then? yeah and Quirrell just laughs in his face basically and um, that was like, one, it, like I said, so that was my little, I, I learned a lesson from the book moment, um, was as cause Harry's having that like conversation, uh, cause, uh, we're not quite there, but jumping ahead a little bit, Harry has this, so Quirrell's like basically all people suck and you know, everybody's just out for themselves. And after they kind of go back and forth for a while, Harry says, oh, and by the way, Hermione Granger is not one of those people. Hermione Granger would, you know, bend over backwards to not hurt other people. Uh, and they kind of go back and, and Quirrell's like, nah, nah, I, I don't remember the content of it, but, um, you know, he basically says like, no, that's bullshit. She's just pretending. And, and, and Harry would keep like having a response to it, like a substantive response. Um, and what it reminded me, like, and Quirrell kept having, again, these like really simple, cynical responses to it. And 
um, what it made me think of his his responses kept getting uh, lazier and more um, and assuming more. And what it reminded me of, like, so Quarrel was starting. Uh, it was the it was the flower dragon thing from earlier, where Quarrel's just working backwards from the assumption that all people suck, and then making up any reason he needs to explain whatever Harry brings up. Um, and so, and then it basically just like falls back to, oh, Hermione's just pretending to be a good person. Um, right. He's got, he's got a twist in yeah. data that contradicts yeah. his worldview. And which, yeah. And he has, and he has to like, he has to like stumble back to a position that could like, he could drive a Mack truck through that. Like, well, she'd be pretending to be anything. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah. That certainly rings hollow, especially cause we went in Hermione's head. Yeah. So like, we know that Hermione's legit yeah. as good as she seems, if not better. Right. Yeah. Um, like, so we know that he's wrong. Harry believes that he's wrong. And yet his worldview is like, no, no, everyone's really selfish. And I think, uh, I don't know. I, I've still kind of hung up on Quirrell kind of calling me out here saying that, <laughs> like, if you gave a shit, you would do something. Cause like there are problems in the world that I could do more about. And I, it doesn't, and he, he has this line where it's like, maybe and it's towards the end. I know we're jumping around a bit, but it's a short chapter. Um, where he says, you know, maybe you'll be more, uh, like, cynical about other people once mm. they're um uh you'll you'll be less con- excuse me you'll think less fondly of commonplace idiots after the first time their folly costs you something dear such as a hundred galleons from your own pocket perhaps rather than the agonizing deaths of a hundred strangers and like again th- that is that's quarrel being cynical but i don't know if that's him being just i, I don't think it's the same thing same thing as him being evil he's saying yeah yeah once it costs you personally something kind of i mean a hundred galleons is some many thousands of dollars but he's like yeah once it costs you something personal like money then maybe it'll actually hit you harder than you know the agonizing deaths of a hundred people and like i don't i maybe maybe i'm talking myself out of it because i'm not a really good person like Quirrell's, you know <laughs> again pointing out like i don't think i could actually get those people out of cages um yeah but, but yeah, i think maybe, like Quirrell's point I mean, he's pretending that his point is, oh, good people, but but his intent behind saying that is to imply that there's no such thing as good people. I was like, oh, well, if there were such, you know, if you really cared, you'd do yada yada, therefore you are as shitty a human as I am. Um, <laughs> and he doesn't so. realize that Harry, like, almost died twice trying not to blow himself yeah. up to save everybody there. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I don't have much more to add other than the fact that I do feel like Kroll, if he called me out, I'm, I'm thinking he called out a lot of people. Where, like, you know, it, again, you're not doing anything to combat the evils of the world. All you're sitting there is doing, all you're sitting there is, excuse me, all you're doing is sitting there and pointing to it and saying, that's bad. And it's like, yeah, man, I guess you're right. Um, am I not a good person because I'm not actually doing anything about it? Like, am I am I talking myself out of my inability, to, out of the ability to, to do something about it because I really don't want to because it'd be inconvenient? Like, there's no way I could do it legally, yeah. right? It would involve, like, some John Wick-style murders. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, like, like, that, like the, the intent behind it, because it's, like, that is coming from a person who definitely wouldn't ever do fuck all for anybody. Uh, and the intent behind saying it is not out of any sort of sincere belief that it even ought to be done. Um, it's more to point out, like, oh, and you never would. It's kind of like, it's designed to just you know, evoke cynicism and hopelessness in the person hearing it. But does that make it not true? <laughs> uh, well, I mean like that little, the literal fact of it is like maybe true, but, but it's, it's not so much a literal fact of it. That's the problem. It's like the conclusions that you're trying to draw, like what, you know, 
what does it, what's the significance of that? What does that mean to you? Because what he, what Quirrell's trying to do is like, oh, you know, um, altruism is pointless, you know, fuck off and get real. Um, and which like, and that's not a, that's not an objective fact. That's an opinion, uh, which, you know, may or may not be true, but like the thing, and that's like, he's trying to conflate the objective, like an objective fact would be like whether or not you are willing to go and, you know, free the prisoners at the border. Um, but <clears throat> what that means about like the nature of, you know, the goodness of man, uh, that's an opinion. And that's like, that's the part he's trying to manipulate. Yeah, no, I, I agree that he, he is painting everyone to be that bad and empty on the inside, yeah. partly because he's probably projecting, yeah. right? And then also, if you convince yourself that everyone's an asshole, then you don't have to try and be a better person. Yeah, I, and there was something about it that um, I, I kind of, like, at some point I, like, latched onto, like, read it as, like, the lens through which to view this book. Because <laughs> like, what it reminded me of, like, him saying that, the laziness to it, it reminded me of, like, you know, if somebody says something on Reddit, like asking, you know, why would people do this? And then some asshat will just come along with these super easy things like, oh, because all people suck. And then that'll get upvoted a lot because other people like saying that, and, you know, feeling like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck them. Um, and it's like not even an like somebody asks like a legit question about like, why is this going on? And like the answer you get back is, oh, because all people suck. It's like that required like no thought and like only one hand for you to type. Um, right. And and I and I guess that, that was sort of like that's kind of the vibe I got for how Quirrell is acting. Like, it's it's just... Everything he's saying is super easy because any failure on anybody's part supports the argument. Um, and I, and, it, and it wasn't even like it was bad that it was there. It's like that sort of fit with this whole, like, oh, this is an opportunity for us. Let's all step back a moment and realize that this dude is a psychopath and probably Voldemort and not a good person and we shouldn't be, like, you know, leaning on his every word as advice about how to live life. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to point out yeah. where exactly he's wrong in his assessment of like my expressed desires and uh, my my expressed concerns and my actual actions. But yeah. I'll have to I'll, I'll have to settle that score on my own, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, the, the, the other way, the other way it fit for me because at at the end of this, like this, we sort of have like a little mini um, crescendo of 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 Harry's like inner turmoil of him asking Quirrell, like, why am I not like other kids? Um, and like this, like, like shittiness of Quirrell, like made it stick out more because like my impression when, when Harry's asking that, he's good. He's like asking, he sort of like has this flood of finally all the questions he should have been asking forever. Um, but it makes it like, it's sort of sadly stick out. It's like why this man is so undeserving of the, like idol worship that Harry throws it throws at him, um, and it made that like that moment where he's like he's almost like asking Quirrell like why do I exist, um, and it made it stick out as like how like misplaced that was like this is just like a cynical, you know, you know you can just call anything shitty that's like you, know, you can always do that. Um, it's just like it made that part stick out more. It made that part seem like more sad that like how misplaced Harry's admiration was. Damn. Yeah, no, I like that. Um, yeah, I suppose we can take the questions Harry asks him in order because uh, yeah. you, you grabbed them all. Um, yeah, it was, and it was interesting because it was, and it even made me think, it was like, oh yeah, like why the fuck hasn't he been asking all these questions? And he like, it was kind of cool. It was like a kind of a satisfying, he's like, oh, he's hitting because he's hitting like every one of them. You're like, yeah, yeah. And what about that? And what about that? Because so what, I, I wrote it all down. There was a, a bunch of them. 
Um, while, while you find it, I think it's just, yeah, because I think that he, this is his time to ask it because he's like, all right, cool. We're, we're kind of done with like the, the dynamic that we had where like you're my mm-hmm. teacher slash mentor. Maybe we're not done with it, but we've, we've evolved that to where like, all right, now we're international felons together. And <laughs> I just, I, I went through hell basically literally to keep you alive. Like mm-hmm. you, now you can answer some questions for me. And so he starts asking him like, uh, you know, why did you tell the students I'm a killer? Why do you want to support me if, if I was going to be a dark lord? And, why do you want to rule Britain? Um, why did you need Bellatrix, you know, broken out? Uh, why do you do the zombie thing? I, I like that because, that, like, the, the why do you turn into a zombie was so, like, apropos of nothing that they had been going through. So it, like, was only relevant as the, like, big gaping question you should have been asking a long time ago. Um, so I just sort of like it was almost like this is, like, Harry coming to his senses for a little bit. Um, I liked Kroll's answer to that. What was it? Like, I have my reasons, I think. It was just... Personal reasons. Uh, personal reasons. That's right. <laughs> Which is such a hilarious sing, non-answer sing to that question. Yeah. Um, yeah. This was a, a really interesting chapter because the like the way they enter, like a it just got super menacing. But um, like Harry really changes like his tone with Quirrell, and maybe like partially because of how Quirrell's sort of in a weakened state. But like, so Quirrell tries the whole like like mind fucky thing of saying oh i i noticed you didn't even apologize to me for nearly getting me killed um and harry's like nah no fuck that and he basically just like throws a packet i'm like you can just cut it out with that brainwashy bullshit um and so he really does kind of like it's, it's you know i'm saying this now that like oh he changes the the tone and the, and the way he's going to interact with him but then at the end he still kind of goes back and says oh daddy please explain my life to me um it puts Harry in a tight spot, right? Yeah. I mean, this is again, it's his mentor, but he's he's kind of shattering his image of him. Yeah, and it gets he, it, like it's overtly threatening too. It's what it gets overtly threatening. Like they like they pretty much are kind of like enemies from like the the tone is not like oh we're in a slight bit of conflict, but like there's kind of an undercurrent of oh we are becoming enemies. Yeah, it it certainly um, I, I see what you're saying. Like I I'm not sure. Uh, what sort of bond comes between two people, you know, who've, it's probably like soldiers, you know, go through the trenches together, mm-hmm. but like, all right, we just, we just committed a crime together. Now we're, now we're even tighter than before. So, um, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. Um, but it's you know, like, like, that was true, but I was like, there wasn't like an additional element of, Oh, we are now adversaries a little bit, not into, I mean, it's kind of both, but yeah, I think I see what you're saying. I think they're definitely, they definitely were adversarial, yeah. Um, like, cause like I, I did like the part where you, where you pointed out when, um, so, so Harry gets on asking all of his questions, like, uh, what's that sense of doom and yeah. what was your ulterior motive for rescuing Bellatrix and what do you want out of all of this? And, um, then Quirrell's like, oh, well, you know, here's the whole thing about apologize, apologies and stuff. And then Harry's like thinking about how to answer. And then he's like, well, I suppose that answers it. And he's like, no, you do not get to direct the conversation like that yeah. easily. Like, fuck you, man. Do you have any idea what the shit I went through? And he's doing the whole like learn to lose. Oh, you didn't learn to lose at all. And he says, I thought of losing a bunch when I was in Azkaban to just give myself up to the oars, but I couldn't bring myself to lose you. And uh, then there's that there was silence then for a time, even as the as though even the defense professor could not quite think of what to say to that. Yeah. And it's, uh, I, I, I like the, the severity of the language here. And he says, uh, I am curious, said Professor Quirrell at last, 
What do you think I should apologize for, precisely? I gave explicit instructions in the event of a fight. You were to stay down, stay out of the way, cast no magic. You violated, you violated those instructions and brought down the mission. Which brought down the mission is just a badass thing to say. <laughs> I um, like that, like, all that is, like, you could see, like, the conniving behind it. Like, just the ways he's trying to gaslight him into thinking that, like, oh, I was fine and you betrayed me and whatever. And you're like, oh, and I gave you, like, explicit orders. Like, no, fuck you. You were about to murder a cop, asshat. Like, right. And, but I like this, like, Harry's keeps coming. Like, it's not working on Harry. He's like, yeah, no. Yeah, he's kind of done just, like, rolling over every time. In fact, there's a part where, um, Oh, yeah. When he asks about the sense of doom, he says, let me get his exact phrasing so I don't speculate too hard. Um, he says, uh, um, Harry asks, the sense of doom I feel around you. You always knew what it meant. And he says, I had several guesses and I will not yet say all that I guessed. But I, this much I will tell you. It is your doom which flares when we come near, not mine. For once, Harry's brain managed to mark this as a questionable assertion and possible lie instead of believing everything it heard. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that is not something, that is not a thought he's had when Quirrell talks in the past. Um, yeah. I think he's taken everything that Quirrell said as, like, basically gospel. And, oh, my God, this guy's so smart and so brilliant. He's he's so in tune with everything. Of yeah. course, he's telling the truth. And he's making, you know, he's he's going to impart some of his, his enormous wisdom in, onto me. Now he's thinking, okay, instead of believing everything, I'm going to call bullshit. Yeah. I, you know, he's not like he can prove it. But he's like, I'm going to mark that as as questionable. Yeah. And I, um, what I like too is like in in part of this interaction, it's not just that like, oh, he's not falling for it anymore, but he's actually not like defeating him, but like when he pushes back a quarrel, it works to some extent. Like he does he's not just not only is he not deciding to to roll over for quarrel, but like the points he brings back, quarrel can't just like bat away a little bit and, you know, concede a little bit. Yeah. If they had been like if this was their dynamic uh before Azkaban like, so when, when he says about the thing about bringing down the mission, Harry, instead of saying, you're right, I'm sorry, Professor Quirrell, he says, I made no decision. There was no choice in it. Only a wish for that aura not to die. And my Patronus was there. For that wish to have never occurred, you should have warned me that you might bluff using a killing curse. By default, I assume that if you point your wand at someone and say Avada Kedavra, it's because you want them dead. Shouldn't that be the first rule of unforgivable curse safety? Which I think is, I included that last line because it's funny. <laughs> but... Um, like his, his thing wasn't like, oh man, you're right. I'm sorry. He, he's like, no, fuck you, man. I did this because I thought you were going to kill him. And it's not like I jumped in the way or did anything. Yeah. There was just a wish that he shouldn't die and my magic happened. And, and also then, I like how like it, it's sort of, you get a reality check and realize how, uh, gaslighty it was for a quarrel that like tried to like you point blank were about to, you know, shoot a guy in the head and, to try, you know, try to play that off as well. No, of course he was going to dodge. Like, but you can't. Yeah. So it, but we're able to like kind of get a reality check. Like, no, the thing that looked obviously like he was going to murder a cop is because he was going to murder a cop. If it looks like a duck and yeah. quacks like a duck, yeah, and and how ridiculous the the gaslighty explanation was. Like, no, no. It's definitely suspect because like and his his whole thing of like, no, I sought to dominate him and subdue him so I could read his mind. And it's like you couldn't do that without like making him mm-hmm. dodge a spell. Yeah. And the guy like, was going like if Harry, if if the Patronus hadn't shown up, the guy was going to be dead. It wasn't like he was the guy was not going to dodge. Well, and that, that's the thing is he like his, his explanation of like, oh, I would have pushed him out of the way with my own magic because mm-hmm. I saw I sought to subdue him. And it's like you couldn't subdue him by like summoning a bat and hitting him with it a bunch of times like you were clearly owning that fight um it like 
it's it's hard to completely write off everything because killing the cop would have been stupid and Quirrell has shown himself of, of anything at least not to be a complete idiot mm-hmm. but like it's like the whole reasoning still strikes me as super yeah. uh I'm, I'm glad that harry is at the point now where he's able to be uh questionable of it yeah. um i wanted to pull out this part too where like after the unforgivable unforgivable curse safety um harry <laughs> kind of just continues as though the other had not spoken and yeah. says it seems imprudent to not tell me that me casting a spell on you might kill us both. What if you'd suffer some mishap and I tried an innervate or a hover charm? That ignorance, which you permitted for your pur- for purposes I cannot guess, also played some part in this catastrophe. Like, Harry's refusing to own the yeah. um, the responsibility for this. Because I'll put my, heart, my, my cards on the table. I don't think it's Harry's fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like it. It, was, and, like it was an interesting scene because it totally like changed the dynamic. Yeah, this is definitely like the most blunt Harry's ever been. Yeah. With like, no man, fuck you. You answered this. You tell me why this happened, and um, and then so it, and that's what makes it seem so weird that he sort of like wraps that up with, oh please explain to me why I'm not like other kids. Like, and it is like super important question, but um, but just as he's changing the whole like, oh you don't own reality. Um, he, you know, he hits him with the single most important question, which isn't even necessarily a thing that Quirrell is the owner of. Like maybe Quirrell knows something, but like Quirrell, if, you know, if Harry is different than all the other kids, it's not because of something Quirrell did, at least as far as we know. Um, so it's again, he's like kind of like in that way, he's sort of like handing back ownership of reality to Quirrell. Like, oh, please explain this like core thing about reality. I need to know, daddy. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that, like Harry kind of keeps his um, lack of complete submission yeah. uh, present, you know, it's, so it's possible to like, all right, cool. You're not, you know, you've proven yourself to be a bit of an asshole and like, now I'm not going to completely submit myself to you, but you're still smart. I still want to go to yeah. you for things. Um, maybe that's where they're, in fact, maybe that's why they're uh, there's the end of their section that we get for this reading ends that way with them. Yeah. Like, to show that they're not ending necessarily on, all right, cool. Well, as soon as we get back, I'm never talking to you again. Um, it's just like, it's kind of, it, it brings it back to like, all right, our dynamic has shifted, but it's not over. Yeah. 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 It's weird. Cause there's like, cause there is like, uh, you know, an overtly threatening part to it, but yeah, it wasn't like, Oh, now we are enemies, but, um, but yeah, like this very sort of, uh, uncomfortable, unsafe, you know, relationship is now part of whatever it is they're doing here. Yeah. Well, I don't have anything else to add to that. Mm-hmm. I, I do really like that section. It's yeah. finally like oh, the, the other to... thing I wanted to say, with the, and I think they keep up that imagery in the next chapter too. But that, like, we're being beat over the head with some some metaphor about ice, and I didn't know where it was going, but it kept happening so much. I'm like, okay, this is not sort of coincidentally here, but because they kept like describing like the room is like ice and they are like ice statues and the color of their eyes. And that was, I think that was like another hint, like they kept talking about like their eyes and them being like each other. Um, so I have no idea where this thing was going. Um, but they kept like, it was like describing coldness and they were ice and they're in a room of ice and blue. I don't know where the hell it was going, but there was a lot of it and it repeated again. Yeah, I am, uh, I don't know, on a scale of one to ten, I would say a one at uh, my skill level of discerning metaphors. <laughs> um, I think even after people point them out, like, this was a metaphor. Can you tell me what this means? I'm like, okay, I can give you a very surface level explanation, so I will offer that here. Um, I think, like, 
the you know cold as ice like vibe is a thing that exists yeah. outside of the story and has been used to describe Quirrell in the past. And I think that when Harry wakes up, there's not there's not any light. And then when Quirrell goes and sits down, like this blue light kind of like just starts coming yeah. from ambiently. I think it's just Quirrell lighting up the room with that. And as as for why it's like, uh, I'm sure there's some symbolism of why it's blue and icy. But I think the the main thing is that like, it's, I think it kept saying that they're like that they're that they're staring each other down, and that they're um, they're both like statues. I think for me the reflected imagery there is saying. Like, this isn't the dynamic they had, like, man, this is why I don't like metaphors, because I think I'm speaking up my ass, and it feels like it. But it's a rather game. than, like, rather than like <laughs> we have one statue, you know, who looks all tall and domineering, and one who looks all cowed and submissive. It's like, no, they have two that are, like, reflections. Because, mm. because and like, just like we talked about, Harry is, is now not just rolling over and taking whatever Quirrell gives him, pun intended. Um, <laughs> he's... <laughs> I was waiting for a chuckle. <laughs> um, he's uh, he's like he, he's he's gonna fight back and he's gonna he's gonna demand uh, some reasonableness. Like, I mean, to think about how insane it was to go on this mission in the first place mm-hmm. and not ask, wait, why do you want to do this? Um, yeah, and he, he you know, and he asked, he also he asked him like, oh, and then why do you really want Bellatrix out of there? Because I don't believe that it's just you know, out of your care and concern over her innocence. And the, I can't even remember what he said. Something about like, oh, she has knowledge that you'll need to know in order to blah, blah, blah. Like the reason was bullshit. You could tell it was bullshit as he was saying it. Um, <laughs> well, he says something like she was the Dark Lord's most trusted servant. And if anyone alive has some of Salazar Slytherin's lost knowledge, it would be her. Yeah, that's um, I mean, bullshit. Yeah. It, no. It, I, I like your bullshit detector. <laughs> I can't I can't tell you obviously if it's errant or not, but I do like the, again having a bullshit detector is not something Harry had with Quirrell before mm-hmm. this, right? And so, um, I think the uh, like I said, as far as them being reflected equally in this kind of light and their their presence in this room, like Harry asks now, hey, why do we go through? Why do we go do that? He doesn't ask before, and Quirrell even remarks, he's like, uh, you know your young Malfoy friend would have thought to ask what I would gain out of this immediately. Like that is the, uh, what is that? Summum bonum, the, the court phrasing, um, who gain, uh, who, who benefits. Qui, qui, qui bonum. Yeah. Something like that. Oh yeah. Summum bonum is like ultimate yeah. benefit or I can't remember what it is. I'm not a, um, qui bono something, something. I'm not a, I'm not a Latin speaker, but in any case, um, like Harry heard the call to adventure and he's like, Oh, Quirrell says that this is important that we should do it. Let's do it. It never occurs mm-hmm. to him until after the fact to ask like, Hey, what the fuck was all that about? Why am I breaking into a maximum security prison to release a convicted felon? Exactly. Right. And it's yeah, one, it's, somebody, it's, somebody it's one can... thing to like say, Hey, cause you know, I believe she's not innocent, but like it's, it's uh, to a not question that and B not uh, like, again, ask Quirrell, Hey, why do you want to rescue a damsel in distress when it's so like plausible that you might die? Cause being near Dementors fucks you so hard. Um, it's just, uh, anyway, I, I'm really bad at drawing my conclusion to a close. I was trying to get at like <laughs> the, the fact that they seem like the same in this, this situation is because now they're actually interacting on a very similar level. Yeah. Whereas instead of Harry, just going along with everything without thinking about it, that Quirrell says he's like challenging him right back. Right. He's he's not going to roll over with the punches. He's going to punch back. Yeah. So, what, yeah. What, uh, what you just said reminded me that um, something that kept being in the back of my head was, I think, as part of trying to sort of portray like the 
sadism of Azkaban um, and how awful it is that it did it did kind of like oversimplify because you know they're walking through like oh these these you know people are suffering horribly like all these people were like convicted of a crime you know maybe fairly not fairly uh, and maybe you like too much but I think it was like a little oversimplified that everybody in Azkaban is just a victim of an unfair system as opposed to there's probably a lot of really really bad people in there um so, which, which I guess, like, just sort of, like, complicates the, the point. And, and it doesn't, it's not like it negates the point. Or like, I'm trying to say, like, oh, prison's a great idea, and we should put more people in prison because of law and order. Um, but it, it was like a, it was like, I guess some people think I'm like that. Oh, and because students should obey their teachers. Um, but that it, like, it oversimplifies, instead of, like, making it, like, kind of a more realistic, complicated thing, like, um, like, they're all horrible, terrible, scary people that, we need to take care of, but we also probably shouldn't have these like sadistic never ending, um, you know, punishment scenarios. Like it, it, it made it. And I mean, we probably don't want to get like lost in, cause I don't think the point of, of this book is to, you know, be a critique of the prison system. Um, but it did like, it kept running in the back of my head, like, Oh, this is kind of a, a not realistic view of like all of the quote victims in Azkaban. Well, uh, yes and no. I think like, I think having Azkaban around, like having a place to put dangerous people makes perfect sense, even in our yeah. world. Like, I think most people in prisons don't deserve to be in them, but I think plenty do. Yeah. Um, like, it, since we can't fix people right now, like if somebody just loves killing people we and we can't like give them a pill that makes them have compassion and be like a normal human, it's like, well, the best we can do then is to remove you from society where you can't uh, yeah. indulge your love of killing people. And... Um, so like having having a a prison makes sense having a torture system in that mm-hmm. prison designed to rob you of, of the memories of your children and of the feeling of the sun um that that adds the level of horror to it and that that's why it it's it, so yeah you're right that makes it a not perfect metaphor yeah. um well it's, i know like and it makes it sort of like a level of subtlety and nuance to the argument that isn't you know, if, if this book were a critique of the prison system, then you probably want to bring that in. But I mean, like the bigger argument is like, yes, there are horrible, you know, scary, sadistic people. And but that does not mean you have to have this like nightmare torture system. Um, but it's just like since that's only kind of a minor point, that's kind of easier to make it if you don't we don't get into like, oh, and then there, there was this murderer rapist dude that was in Azkaban. Um, yeah. Right. And yeah. I mean with magic involved there's all kinds of other horrible levels you could go to with that right um it's it's uh not even fun to think about so like definitely some people should be in azkaban but the question is like should they be tortured to death and i don't know we'll see if that's the last time that that question's addressed but i you're right the the point of the book as a whole isn't to critique the prison system but it might be you know a a sub point of at least part of it but like i don't think and now I'm going to do the thing where I'm reading the author. I don't think the author, well, you know what? I won't even bother bringing the author into it. My own thing is that, like I said, I think that it makes sense to have a place to put people that are too, too unequipped for society because they're too dangerous, Yeah. but it doesn't make sense to torture them to death. Yeah. All right. That's all I'll say. Cause I keep belaboring the same point. So yeah, it, it, we get a line break after he asks Quirrell, why am I not like the other children my own age? And then we get, get a cut to Dumbledore and Dumbledore and I, this is another uh, like scene like, I like this and what it immediately leads into of just the the Hogwarts professors all looking super badass. So, yeah, because Dumbledore love it. just it, shows up in Diagon Alley and like along with uh, with his Patronus, uh, and he's just like gonna get like ready to go. I like, and then it just is like, oh, out of habit, he looked at a random part of the pavement in order to memorize it, um, 
just because that's what one does. <laughs> well, I think he does it so that he can, he's probably got that system to alert himself yeah. for paradoxes, yeah. which is just like it, the fact that this is such background badassery for him. Mm-hmm. He's like, all right, before I do my time travel stuff, I should probably, uh, you know, do my standard paradox check. And it, which works like, yeah. Oh well, yeah, it works. But I, like, like, like we talked about with, uh, you know, he says to Amelia bones, I'm going to go back in time to protect Harry Potter. Like that is a surprisingly heavy, badass <laughs> thing to say that you're right. I'm glad you kind of drew attention to it. Cause like not even people, not even every wizard, in fact, the overwhelming majority of wizards don't get to say that badassness. Yeah. And, he, um, and we know he, that and he wasn't even dramatic in the way he said her. It was just like, but, oh yeah, well that's the thing I'm going to go do. Yeah. Which is yeah, it's it's hardcore. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, his the little parchment. There's a little spot that he looks at to memorize has a piece of parchment on it with just the word no, no. <laughs> and so he and drops it, lets it, lets it flutter away, grabs the next piece of random paper on the ground, which is the exact same piece of paper that he just saw. <laughs> And then touches his wand to it, and the same word no is written on it. And he's like, oh, a paradox if I go to retrieve him immediately. Um, well, uh, perhaps they didn't set in motion their plan to rob Azkaban until after they confirmed his arrival here, or else That one, I, I read that. He said their plan to rob Azkaban. I thought that was a... I don't know if there's anything significant about it, but the, word, the use of the word rob seems strange to me. Like, I guess that's technically true, but that wouldn't, I wouldn't have, they didn't like steal from Azkaban. They did a prison break. So I, I don't know. I just didn't, I wasn't sure if the, if there was anything to the fact that he chose that word. I didn't uh, notice the incongruity there, but you're absolutely yeah. right. That's it's not a weird word to the word I would prison. use about yeah. describing what they did. Yeah. They didn't steal from Azkaban. Yeah. Uh, well, technically. They, yeah, they I stole mean, a prisoner. But yeah, it's a weird way to put it. So it's one of those like, yes, technically true, but why did you put it that way? Yeah. They didn't put in their motion to yeah. uh, burgle Azkaban, to, yeah, to break into Azkaban, was maybe how I would have put it. Rob Azkaban sounds like they're like breaking into a, a vault and stealing an artifact, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was like it was like enough of a subtle thing that maybe totally might not mean anything, but it was yeah, it just struck me as strange. Uh, you can see far from the top of the ladder of paranoia. <laughs> Which I'm not sure if yeah, the ladder of paranoia is a thing I invented on the show. I'm sure uh, it's been around, but I think I came up with it originally. And I'm now not I'm not even sure what that metaphor means. Like, what does it mean to be on a ladder? I just I'm picturing the higher you climb, the uh, the further yeah. you can see, but everything's blurrier because you're, it, right. you know, you're. Right. Yeah, now the metaphor falls apart I, when you I, look I at it because I'm bad at metaphors. But <laughs> I like I like the I'm going to keep it that phrasing. Um, so then uh, he, um, oh, you pulled out the part about watching the boy leave us on his instruments. I think you might have mentioned yeah. that already. Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah. yeah, there's been a bunch of these like little like just subtle drops of. By the way, this is the tied for the first place most powerful wizard in the world. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder what like all their stuff in his office does. Yeah, um, it kind of makes you want makes the thing one that counts the orgasms of left-handed witches in the borders of France is like Some, the least interesting thing in the room. Somewhere he's looking for the one that counts the right-handed wizards. Right. <laughs> so then we get the the short back to uh, um, Harry and Quirrell, and he just he's answering Harry's question about why am I not like why am I not like the other children my own age, and he just says I don't know. And, Harry looks at it, and he's like, oh, really? And which I kind of like, because it's like, come on, man, fuck that. Yeah. And he says, truly, I know nothing. And of my guesses, I will not speak. You know what? I will say this much. But he's not going to tell us, because it's the end of the chapter. Exactly. So, great. Thanks for that. Thanks, Quirrell. That's a very Quirrell thing of you to do, to leave us hanging. Thanks, Queerness. You can't possibly call him, address him as Queerness. Q? Queerness. I don't know. Uh, 
Brian Deacon does the voice of, uh, or excuse me, Brian. That's <laughs> um, oh, you mean close. Jesus? That guy yeah, who Jesus. played Jesus? Uh, Drake Walker. Not even a similar sounding name, but yeah. I guess s- syllables, whatever. Um, Drake Walker does the voice of Dumbledore, and he nails it. Um, like, I think he does yell, oh yeah, he yells queerness when he kicks the door in after Harry gets his ass kicked to, mm. quote, learn to lose. Mm. Um, and uh, he's like, queerness. And I don't know. Somehow Drake pulls Ooh. off an angry old wizard yelling queerness really well. So yeah, it works in like big big drama. It just be but like queerness past the salt. Like <laughs> it's a mouthful. It is a mouthful. Um, oh, you mentioned the thing too about learning to lose in the last chapter because because Quirrell uh, yeah. kept harping on that and he's like, oh, you didn't learn to lose at all. And um, yeah, because because the way Harry put it. Um, was oh i could were you thinking about giving a fake apology too like like he he sort of the uh, just the underlying assumption of what he's saying is that the learn to lose thing is to is is bullshit that is like oh yeah i could i could lie to you if you want and that and we could play this learn to lose game and i could pretend to be sorry or you could pretend to be sorry and we're both full of shit um but I, I, and I was still, you know, there was some, uh, some disagreement as to what the learn to lose uh, thing meant. Cause I never, like, it seemed like bullshit to me from the beginning. And this seemed to like, kind of go along with that, that, um, that it was this like sort of calculated manipulative kind of learned, like it was learn to get other people to see you as losing, um, in order to win later. Um, and that it wasn't like any sort of like life lesson other than some weird Machiavellian thing. Um, and so it seemed like this was just sort of a way of like, it wasn't even so much that that was even the point Harry was trying to make, but it was just kind of the underlying assumption to, to his responses. Um, yeah, that learn to lose thing is just, you know, lying and manipulating. Yeah, I think there's, I think it's like, I think at some point he explicitly said it was that like the whole point yeah. is to, uh, you know, say you've given up and then plot your revenge later yeah because if you don't say you know if you don't submit in the moment then they'll just kill you or whatever right yeah um so i think that you know that's definitely a big part of it and that's probably all quarrel gets out of it if i'm gonna be if i can put on my charitable hat um for well it's not even uh i'm not even having to put on my charitable hat for this one i think if if i if you look at a different way like Learning to lose is also like in a, if you squint, the same lesson he's trying to teach Draco about like accepting the results of an experimental result um, or an experiment of an experiment where it's like, if you can't admit that it, learning to lose, if you squint is the same thing as saying you're wrong or admitting that you're yeah, wrong. Yeah. And I, th- I think, and that's maybe what, like what rubbed, uh, rubbed me the wrong way about it in the beginning was like, that's how it was. That's what it was pretending to be was some sort of like, you know, life lesson about humility and, blah 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 but wasn't actually um and so yeah like the like you know accepting results you're not uh expecting or happy with is is a good thing to to learn and helpful um but that wasn't what quarrel was actually trying to do it was he was it's what he was pretending to be doing but it wasn't actually what he was doing yeah i think i think you're probably right um i just i didn't want to skip on a thing that you pulled yeah. out so all right we'll jump on to chapter 61 which opens up with this feels very like uh, it, it has the same sort of vibe to action me as, movie. Yeah, exactly. Action movie. Yeah. Um, McGonagall and Snape show up at Gringotts because it's the fastest way to get to Diagon Alley from Hogwarts. And they've got um, guns. Even though they don't have guns, they have guns. Like there's a everybody's got guns and like sensible shoes. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then they they get their via flu. Then they immediately teleport to Mary's place 
Juan's already out, mm-hmm. raised and spinning. They're back to back, and uh, Severus started casting anti disillusionment charms, and like so they they just pop in, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. They look around, they check for invisible people, and they're like, all right, the alley is empty. Yeah, and, I like it was like I just like the vibe of like hyper competence and uh, and just like you know power on their part, and and how much of it happened without them needing to to say anything to one another. It's just kind of like all automatically knew what the right thing was to do. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, like, if this fits with any action movies I've seen recently, but nothing's quite coming to mind. But, um, yeah, just the whole uh, vibe of, all right, we're going to come in, and we're going to very smartly, like, after, after we prepare, kick the fucking door in and make, yeah. and, and secure the situation. Although, the, the weird uh, parallel I just saw, though, was it was a great deal, like, Star Trek people beaming in from the transporter with their phasers drawn and their backs to each other to... <laughs> Except I like it. No, that's actually like a lot lamer than the vibe I got from this because Star Trek red shirts with phasers just is kind of lame. This I was, was going to digress on the teleporter machine because uh, I was going to ask. If, I heard that it was also like supposed to be a replicator machine, not just a teleporter. I read a whole book about yeah, like science that the uh, the transporter is the most far fetched bit of Star Trek science. Well, definitely that. Heisenberg. But I'm, I'm I'm just thinking like I thought that if it can reconstruct. You know, if it can destroy you on the ship and reconstruct you on the planet, then it can presumably, presumably it can just reconstruct anything you want, mm-hmm. which to That's me would just mean like, all right, cool, we'll just carry a few nukes on the ship and then we'll reconstruct it wherever we want to drop it. And we can just reconstruct it in the middle of a city that we want to detonate or something. Then I didn't watch Star twice? Trek. So then why not twice? Maybe they do that. You could just what? reconstruct the same nuclear bomb 20 times. Oh, yeah. If, it, if, you, if the reconstruction doesn't require the deconstruction, then sure. It's just control C, control V. Perfect. All right, so we broke Star War, Star Trek. Yes. Uh, let's uh, let's move on to this. Um, so they secure the alleyway. They're about ready to storm the place, and then Dumbledore shows up in a in a burst of fire, which again, just he's like more badass stuff. Yeah. And like he's done this before. He's done yeah. the whole you know teleporting via Fox thing. And yet, the more I think about it, and the more I look at all the things that Dumbledore is casually doing that literally no one else mm-hmm. does. Um, it does just yeah keep putting up higher and higher on the pedestal of yeah. badassery, right? Yeah, and I like I like that like we're getting to see it in this book because it was implied a lot in the original books of like they spend almost all of their time just being like the professor types, and but implied and we got to see like the Battle of Hogwarts uh, in the end like we get to see that they really are like powerful wizards, uh, but it's kind of just more implied in the originals and I like that we kind of get get to kind of explicitly see it. I do, and as we're talking about it, I do like a lot more like how uh, much more badass Snape seems in this one. Yeah, he like explicitly a lot of the hard magic is stuff he's doing, yeah. like disillusionment, anti-disillusionment yeah. charms. Um, he, yeah, he gets some more actual badassery here for sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing too is just badass. I almost said Gandalf again. Badass Dumbledore <laughs> showing up. So not only does he appear in a flash of goddamn fire. But he just immediately, he's like, she escaped. Did your Patronus reach him? And he, he's just, he's pure business. Yeah. And it's, uh, I don't know exactly how to put it, but it's just like, um, he again, he, he's not doing the kind old wizard thing. He's yeah. just here in full battle mode. Yeah, and it just and makes them awesome. all seem like super powerful. So get, I mean, Dumbledore a lot, and it's just, but even just like Snape and McGonagall is just, you know, powerful and really good at what they do totally i want to talk about mcgonagall in a little detail um when we get more of her as soon as the 
this oh, little yeah, yeah. this little action scene break is over. Yeah. Um, like they're, so, yeah, they're so doing they, basically like, a reverse they, heist, you know, getting Harry out of there, yeah. right? So yeah, so they get invisible. They go into Mary's place. They get into the bathroom that Harry said he was in, and there's nothing there. But there's a note on the toilet, which is weird now that I say that. Um, but the note's got it's a note from Harry that just says like, "What did the hat say about me?" or something like that. Uh, but it's like this little secret high sign that like get McGonagall to it's a question that only McGonagall the real McGonagall would know um I thought it was kind of funny though because it's like just this note in a you know theoretically empty room um and you get the note and McGonagall just knows to just say out loud the answer because Harry must be in the room and he is right Um, it's just kind of fun because like uh, what did the hat tell me to tell you and so Dumbledore picks it up and it's described you know it's invisible Mm -hmm. and then it's thrust into her direction and then that I remember the answer uh, was, "I'm an impudent youngster, and I should get off its lawn." <laughs> and then Dumbledore was like, "And um, then Harry appears next to the toilet, and he's got the too alert face, the cold, the cold eyes, mm-hmm. and the too adult Harry that she had sometimes seen." Um, and, and so, again, like, more than that, like, here he's actually doing a good job acting, mode. right? Yeah, he's like, "I was just sent an emergency message. I'm in freakout mode. What the fuck's going on?" And yeah, it's probably not tra- hard for him to. <laughs> he yeah. doesn't have to try very hard to act freaked out. No, in fact, that's what he does try to say. He tries to say what's going on, but uh, Dumbledore just grabs him and they teleport away in a flash of fire. Yeah. And then there's a line break, and Harry Potter was safe. Yeah. And then there's like this moment to breathe, and it's like, all right, cool. Uh, our siege is over, and like, let take a sec. It's just that that moment lands as like a, yeah. a transition of I don't know we've secured the room and the bombs diffused. Yeah. And I like she, that it was like another sign of like, we are not fucking around. Cause there was no like big dramatic. Oh, let's all stand around in a three quarter circle facing the camera uh, and talk about everything that's, that's going on. It was like, Nope. Okay. We found him. And Dumbledore again, like, because he's, you know, eight feet tall and super strong. Um, just like grabs Harry. Uh, who did Dumbledore take the, the hair off his head? Or was oh it yeah. Snape? He, yeah. He, snapped, he snacks he the snaps hair before he teleports. Grabs him and then just like teleports. So he's like, Hey, we're not fucking got him. We're out. Um, as again, like, we're not going to fuck around, you know, give time for the bad guys to figure out what we're doing. The bathroom is not secure. We're going exactly. to a more secure location. Exactly. So, yeah, I like that. Yeah. And the meanwhile, meanwhile, yeah. back at headquarters. <laughs> well, we don't get to headquarters yet. We uh, I like this bit because like Minerva's kind of put her hand oh, against yeah. the wall and like is recuperating. And I like this. It's just a slight description, but it just it it adds this air of like, I've done this a hundred times because I'm a super professional with his right hand. Uh, um Snape is drawing out the bottle of polyjuice and with his left at the same time, he's reaching forth to grab the hair from mm. Minerva. And what I like about it is like, it's not like, okay, let me get this. Let me uncork it. Will you hand me the hair, please? Thank you. He's just doing this all in one quick motion. Yeah. Like they're, they're going to have Harry in and out of this bathroom in the usual duration of a bathroom break to keep the plan going. Yeah. Like, you know, and- I hadn't like all of this the fast pace and everything going on, I hadn't stopped to think about what does this mean about what, who and what do they think Quirrell is at this point? So they clearly, like they knew, they knew that Snape needed to pretend to be Harry to go in and fool Quirrell. Like nobody has said out loud, like what do they think is going on? But clearly things have shifted. Um, But it's not clear, like they haven't like sort of identified him as the enemy either. But, uh, but this, this says a lot about what they, think their relationship with Quirrell is now but I'm not exactly sure what that is it's changed though I'm not sure if you want to elaborate on that if you want me to respond to that 
Uh, well, I don't know. It's just thinking out loud. I mean, yeah. What, what no, do you then, think? I'll, then I'll ping pong. Then I'll ping pong back on that. And I think what it says to me is like the the default baseline for the last fifty years has been don't trust the defense professor. Don't trust the defense professor. Mm-hmm. So like they're not gonna like rope quarrel in. And also just like with the speedy action of the plan, they're not gonna do the whole you know let's stand in a circle and face the camera and let me explain to you what's happening, mm-hmm. uh, Professor Quirrell. Uh, we think Harry here might be Bates, so we've got Severus pretending to be him, and he's going to go pretend to try and get kidnapped for an hour. Um, they're they're going to just do all of this immediately without telling him. A, because telling the defense professor stuff is probably a bad idea on, on sheer principle. Mm-hmm. And B, they're doing this as action scene fast as possible. Yeah. And so, like, I don't think Snape's going back deliberately to bait Quirrell. He's going back to look to see if someone's going to try and abduct Harry Potter. Oh, the non-specific off. enemy of Harry. Not, well, I think they weren't necessarily yeah, thinking on, on the chance that the Dark Lord's servants are trying to kidnap okay. Harry for the second ingredient for the resurrection, I think. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I guess these actions be. aren't necessarily directed at Quarrel. I don't I think just, so. Okay. I think it's okay. it's just uh, whatever is happening. Um, yeah. They, I, I'll, I'll pull out the, the lines when we get down further in the chapter, but I think it's more explicitly like we think that, uh, you know, all right, so... so Voldemort has has orchestrated an escape from Azkaban. The next step is for them to grab Harry Potter for the flesh or for the uh, blood of the enemy, mm-hmm. and we need to make sure it's not actually Harry Potter. Severus, you're good at this shit. You want to catch anyone on the on a surprise who tries to grab this pretended eleven year old? And uh, there's just no reason to there. You know, when you lay out the plan, there's no reason to loop in the defense professor, right? Yeah, all right, that makes sense. I'm not trying to talk no. you out of anything. I'm just giving. No, 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 that does make sense. Well, yeah, because I, I know it's, and maybe that's why it didn't strike me in the moment. But yeah, because I'm like, what does this mean? What do they? Because, but clearly, like things have sort of shifted. They're not. I think like they're. Oh, well, especially if uh, Quirrell attacked Snape. Although, man, I don't know. I mean, Quirrell attacking Snape, they could have interpreted it as just being protective of Harry. But it seems like they got, they have they need to uh, shift their assessment of Quirrell in this whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yes and no. I think that if if I was magically able to detect, like, if, if my wife walked in and I could tell it was a body double, mm. like, if I was magically sure of it, I think I might attack her on the spot, too. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> like, who the fuck are you and what have you done with her? Um, so, you know, certainly, Quirrell's playing the part just as he would be expected to. But mm. there's also this line where, um, and this is just the, the first bit of the time travel fuckery, which, you know, one of these days I should get out a pen and paper and try and draw this out to see if I can <laughs> resolve this, but... Um, as the polyjuice is settling into its potency, I guess, uh, Snape's just like, that was unexpected. Why did our headmaster not retrieve Mr. Potter earlier? Yeah. I wonder if he's going so far as to twist time, there should have been nothing to, to pre- preventing him from doing so. Indeed, your Patronus should have found Mr. Potter already safe. And <laughs> Minerva just has the, uh, the, the thought of like, wait, Harry has a fucking invisibility cloak. <laughs> <laughs> And I didn't, you know, the first time reading this was kind of fun because I did like a double take. The potions master did not answer. He was shrinking. And I'm like, wait, oh, yeah, he's apologizing <laughs> it to Harry. Duh. But like it all happened so fast that you're not, you're not, at least I didn't quite put it together, you know, on the first. Uh, I just recall like thinking like, wait, what? Shrinking. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I want to see what he looks like, like halfway between Snape and Harry. That's got to, that's got to be an attractive look. You know, like those, uh. Those programs that like will morph one yes. face into another, yeah. I bet there's some really horrifying Alan Rickman, uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name, Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe hybrid pictures. Daniel Rickman. All right. Well, 
with that horrifying image in our heads, we transition back to uh, Dumbledore's office, and we're in uh, McGonagall's POV. And I like this. It's like it's a little bit more characterization for, her, and it it's it keeps like the um, the air of the situation still serious. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, there's that line about where Albus had made a joke once about. Uh, Hogwarts running smoothly when there's oh, an outside yeah, yeah. crisis for her to avoid thinking about. And then we get an ellipsis in the line break and it says 10 years ago, that was the last time Albus had said that. And yeah. like it, so, I mean, she's just there keeping herself busy with, uh, with busy work to keep the school from grinding. I like how she's got like her little like junior desk that she just, you know, poofs out of thin air in his office. She just kind of makes her own desk and then makes it go away. Right. Anyway. So, um, Severus shows up and then asks if Mad Eye was, had reported and again this is just such a cool thing i love i love the time travel hijinks i'm gonna i want your opinion on it as as a whole here in a second but uh moody's patronus is reporting to the me in azkaban Um, i had a double take a second i'm like because we've had so much of like dumbledore can do anything i'm like wait a minute he can like make multiples of himself i'm like oh no wait we're just talking about time travel like for a minute i'm like you can make a maximum of six for up to an hour yeah i guess so way to ambush an enemy he could just cause multiple versions of himself to exist just because yeah if, if it wasn't time travel hijinks and just dumbledore badassery mm-hmm. but i when you think about it that's actually a really fun way to think of how to attack somebody like all right cool well like i mean just, like if he ever got in a situation where he was lucky enough like during the wizarding war to like just do a one-on-one duel with uh with voldemort and he's like well i'm pretty sure voldemort can beat me but can he beat six of six me, of me. <laughs> all at the same time That'd be awesome. But the other five get to know how the first ones were. Yeah, whatever. Each one of you gets to have seen more of it. That's a good point. So. Yeah. Well, certainly. All right. Yeah. We'll need a pen and paper to figure out. This, <laughs> so we'll save that for later. Um, this is where then Snape says subjectively, that, you're fighting that battle for six hours. You have to fight that battle six times. Well, you couldn't. You wouldn't do it for six hours as long as you're going to beat on it. Because it, it would one be your, at the end of the you hour, be, you have to go back in time to make the the other uh, duplicate of you, right? Exactly. So maybe there could only be five, five. of you are actually going to be there long enough to actually have the fight. Because yeah, you would need five. But but anyway, you've got to like fight, and then when you're done, you have to go back in an hour to fight again. You got to do that at least five times. Oh, I was just thinking that like I use my time turner, wait an hour, use it again, and then there's three of me in the same room, right? Yeah, but all three like. For you, that was one continue. Like you do it once, and then you have to go back in time to be the second guy in the room, and then you got to do it again, and then you got to go back in time so that you can be the third guy in the room. Yeah, I guess I would fight the you guy at the fight end of the it hour over and over and over again. But yeah, certainly that'd actually be kind of proof that you won already if there were six yeah. of you and you plan to engage them before the end of the hour because it's almost like you wouldn't have gone back in time if you had died. All right. Anyway, time travel—it's great fun. <laughs> um, this is where. Uh, I liked this line too. And then I'll let you talk for a bit because I've been talking too long. Um, uh, Snape says that uh, no one's tried to take my blood except for the defense professor. And Minerva's like, wait, what? And he's like, oh, he saw me as an imposter before I could even open my lips and quite reasonably attacked me on the spot, demanding to know the whereabouts of Mr. Potter. Shouting that I was Severus Snape did not seem to reassure him for some reason. <laughs> I do believe that man would kill me for a sickle and give back five canuts change. <laughs> that was a great line. That was such a good right. line. I'm like, oh, that must be like an actual line. Like, that man would kill me five, five, for five bucks and give back change. Yeah, it sounds dope. Um, <laughs> give back change. I had to stun our good Professor Quirrell, which was not easy, and then he reacted poorly to the hex. Harry <laughs> Potter, naturally alarmed. 
uh, ran out the door and told the owner. And the defense professor was taken to the hospital, who said he'd been overworking for days, given a state of exhaustion, um, which we can probably suspect that his state of exhaustion was not given to overworking himself for weeks. Um, for breaking out of Azkaban. Right. And then he just went back to Diagon Alley and wandered, but no one seemed to try to abduct him. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess I had lost track in reading it of like, oh, he was there as bait. Um, yeah, and then there was some in that in that whole description. Again, I'm just in from the ladder of paranoia. Um, that McGonagall seemed. So, I mean, we already knew that McGonagall was like favorably disposed to the. Uh, defense professor not because of who it is but just like oh they're really hard to find so we have to like watch out for the defense professor um but it's this one it it seemed weird that um how much she was concerned about him and and more so than than everybody else and because Dumbledore had to be like okay we've got bigger things to worry about um so yeah just it's stuck out as strange I wasn't sure, but I wasn't sure what to make of it. Yeah, I think, like, given the time that we spent in McGonagall's head, I think she's just, like, loves, uh, this sounds like almost too cliched, she loves educating, she loves the well-being of her students, and they finally have a competent defense professor, and so, like, that's why he's the precious, that's why he's the precious defense professor, because he's actually good at his job. Like, I doubt she was this protective of the last one, or whichever one, you know, was making out with all those 15-year-olds or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, I, was, I mean, like, so I knew that, and I knew we had that, like, in the background. Um, but this it's this seemed like the volume was even higher on it. And so I was, I mean, yeah, I, so I, I wasn't sure. I was like, oh, is there real significance to this, or is this just that thing about how, you know, she has practical concerns about having a defense professor, but... I always read it the other way, but I do like your letter of paranoia, paranoia perspective. Where he's kind of mind whammied her into being like, I'm super valuable. Yes. Um, no, that's good. So then this is where they, they settle down to try and figure out like, um, and again, this is, this just has like the, uh, this feels more like heist planning, but it's, you know, after the fact, I'm try- there's not a good allegory in a movie that's jumping out for me, but you know, Dumbledore sits down. And he's like, we are faced with a rather alarming mystery. I can think of only two wizards who might have engineered this escape. Um, I wanted to call this out about McGonagall as long as this line's here. Um, like, because she, she, she's there. She's part of the battle crew to go rescue Harry. And she's in mm-hmm. this room. And yet she's kind of short, short-sticked the whole time. Like, Yeah. Um, yeah, she says like, oh, this battle stuff isn't for me. Right. She felt like a polyjuiced imposter sitting, the, yeah. sitting with those two. War was not her art, nor plotting. She had to strain to keep one step ahead of the Weasley twins, and sometimes she failed at that. She was sitting here, ultimately, because she had heard the prophecy. And so she's sitting there, like, not really, like, feeling like she's contributing. And unfortunately, she's kind of not. Um, it, it's it's a bummer. And yet, I want to call out a point down the road where she super was, but they didn't get a chance to appreciate it. Hmm. Um, in fact, I'm curious. I, I'll, I'll point it out when we get there. But, like, it's... It's interesting because I think, like, the characters are all being played up to, like, better versions of who they were in the, the regular story. Yeah. Um, and yet, when you when you, when you you level up Professor McGonagall, you don't get, like, a hardened battle mage or a cunning Slytherin, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, okay. so, I see what you're saying. Like, part of me feels like, man, I feel like she's being short-shifted here, but uh, at, the, at the end of the day, at the end of it, it's like, no, I, I think we're just, we're getting... That's not what being more, more McGonagall is. is, yeah. 
Yeah, we're just not changing her to be like somebody else. Yeah. So. Um, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I just wanted to, to voice that because that's something that was on my mind for this. Um, so basically, uh, I'll, I'll let you lay out Dumbledore's thoughts. and. I, I wouldn't like, I'm, it's probably not the right spot for me to do it. This is the part where I just kind of like glazed over. There are a few like interesting parts, but so they, they do the whole like, oh, let's, you know, draw a UML diagram on the map and figure out how time travel, you know, how all this worked. It's sort of like intentionally we didn't, get to you know see any of the detail of how that worked because it is too hard to follow and when they're done they just kind of say you know like oh we didn't figure out fuck all right um, <laughs> what, what did you guys figure out and she's and he's like well we concluded that either harry was involved or, or he wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like great yep you you laid out the two possible conclusions <laughs> um so yeah this part and so there was that which i think like was I think a little bit comedically supposed to, you know, not have any content to it. Um, but there was a lot of sort of like assumptions about, well, this me like, oh, because of the, we get in a little bit, the Animagus potion was left in the room. And that means it's a signal being sent to us to blah, blah, blah. There was a lot of sort of like, oh, if this, then that. Um, and what does that mean about, you know, where we are on the plot? And I, I just, it was sort of like confusing and, uh, one thing didn't seem to follow as much from the other as much as they seemed to think it did. And that part, that, this whole part kind of fell flat for me. Um, but so maybe I mean, there can, were a few. Maybe, maybe through talking about it, we can make it fall up. Fall, I don't know. Fall pointy. Yeah, yeah fall, <laughs> fall pointy. Um, like, so uh, what am I? Um, uh, I had something immediate and I'm, I'm dropping the ball. But um, I see what you're saying that like, there's some misdirect. There's some. There's some confusion. There's some obfuscation. What I what I like about it is that it is confusing, and there's some high level. Like this is obviously like all right. This is super Slytherin level plotting, right? And like all right. So even if you're going to break Bellatrix out using an Animagus potion, which isn't how they did it, but which is apparently a way that might actually work, why leave the way, proof of that behind? And it's like well, and the it way is Quirrell wanted them to think that, yeah. And what I like about it is like. At a meta, not a meta level, but at a uh, at a bird's eye view, it's kind of clear why fighting Voldemort for ten years drove Dumbledore a little crazy, right? <laughs> this was the shit that he was dealing with. This this is what he was waking up to, you know, have with his breakfast every morning with some new shit like this. Yeah, he had a weird line about how, uh, like, oh, only you know, being this clever and weird is the like the signature of Voldemort, and then the weird like conclusion he drew from that and so that's the only kind of person that would overestimate my you know intelligence or my cleverness or something it was kind of a strange like conclusion to arrive at but yeah he's so clever he's the only person that would overestimate me wait what yeah i mean it it's interesting i guess the only thing that like because that does sound sort of like grandiose for himself but the only the other piece of bolstering evidence is that you know snape was a death eater and he was like yeah this totally seems like a voldemort thing yeah um, no it's like because it didn't even quite it's not even sort of like a it's because it's not arrogance for dumbledore to say that it, it just it's kind of a, a non sequitur like he's so smart that he will think i'm smarter than i am like wait that doesn't even follow like i don't understand that at all and, and that's what that's what Snape says. Yeah. He says, unless that's exactly what he wanted us to think, and he's he's calibrated you perfectly. <laughs> like it, it's the uh, the one level higher than you mentality that um, when yeah. Quirrell was talking about like the levels of deception, um, 
it it's so reminiscent of that and it's like okay yes what level is Voldemort playing at here um assuming that you know their conclusion about who broke well because we know that it was we know who broke Bellatrix Blackout it was Harry and Quirrell um but when they're running with it they don't know what like they, they don't know how to model who they think did it exactly right when so they can't infer things properly or the person who is you know orchestrating this and leaving them clues is calibrating them exactly right and is leaving them yeah. super indecipherable messages just to fuck with them. <laughs> and but then the like the the big uh reveal kind of for uh for McGonagall and Snape is because Dumbledore says, well basically like this either has to be uh Voldemort or Harry and but like that's not at all a a conclusion that McGonagall or Snape would have gotten to. Um, and so McGonagall's like shocked when, when Dumbledore says it, but Dumbledore's like, you know, Harry's got his partial transfiguration thing. Like Harry's the only other person with these completely unexpected powers that no other wizard has that could have pulled off. Cause you know, you can't break people out of Azkaban. It doesn't happen. And so it has to be something weird and unprecedented. And Harry's the only other plausible explanation. And then there was another, uh, ladder of paranoia line, uh, because in part of uh, saying that uh, Dumbledore is quoting the prophecy, he says uh, that Harry was mar- is marked the Dark Lord's equal. I'm like, aha, because they're the same person or something that I still don't completely understand. But well, the, I think that was a line in the prophecy. Too. Yeah, no, it is. But I mean, no, but my the, the way and I get like half of the time when I once I've locked onto these paranoid things and half the things I'm reading into it are just going to be coincidence. But. Um, no, because so yeah, he's quoting the prophecy, but like that specific quote pulled out, and the way he said it, it, like has like a double meaning of like yes, he's as powerful as the Dark Lord, but also the Dark Lord's equal. Like he is the Dark Lord. Um, so, mm. like yeah, the way you're like the way the prophecy sounds, and the way you're supposed to hear that on its surface is he is as powerful as the Dark Lord, but the other interpretation is that he is the same as the Dark Lord. He's equal. You know, Dark I Lord equals equals Harry. He- it was what? Dark Lord equals equals Harry. Oh, damn. I remember that the phrasing of the prophecy in this book and the phrasing of the prophecy in the canon version oh, is yeah. almost identical. Um, I think it's... I think, Yeah, I can't remember what the exact... Uh, no, it's uh, it's the change of something about like while, while the other lives... Oh, neither can live while the other survives yeah, with the old version. And this one was, for those two different spirits cannot exist in the same world. Is that it? Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, I can't remember. Oh, that totally... Uh... It works for my alternate universe there, like an alternate universe rather than a time travel version of Voldemort and Harry. Oh, dang. You're right. I'm feeling that. But yeah. I think uh, I was just pointing out that like being the Dark Lord's equal doesn't mean being as strong as him. It didn't mean that in canon either. Yeah. It meant something else. Uh, it's not quite clear to me what it meant. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why. Eh, well, we'll, I'm sure the prophecy will be important at some point. It's prophecy after all. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> they're they're explaining or Dumbledore's explaining like you know why he thinks Harry might be a plausible candidate of having been able to do this and he's like well he also invented this charm that uh, might actually help him break people out of Azkaban and <laughs> Minerva's just like okay well why is uh, um, he researching you know charms that can do this or or no it's like does anyone else know of this new and powerful charm for breaking people out of prisons and 
Dumbledore's just like, yeah, queer and his quarrel. And she's just like, well, what the fuck, man? Why did he tell our defense professor about this brilliant new charm? (laughs) And Snape's like, would you Um, like me to teach him how to make Polyjuice Potion too? As long as as we're doing stupid shit. I like that line a lot. And then, because that's like the, you know, a little bit of comic relief. And he's like, oh, maybe I'll teach him to brew Polyjuice. And Dumbledore just leans back and he's like, "Hmm, maybe next year. (laughs) (laughs) So, um,. Yeah, so Snape is like, oh, wait, hang on a second. I think I might know why he would have done this. And then he, you know, takes the fluid network over to his office real quick, which seems to, oh, yeah, because they can't apparate. Um, but he says that he saw Lasoth studying and waiting, and he was able to, like, read his mind real quick. And so the reason they think maybe Harry did it was because he wanted to rescue Lasoth's parents from um, Azkaban. That whole thing seemed strange to me because it was like, well, why, you know, why, why is that very important other than like trying to find some reason why Harry would do it? Um, there was a, a cool quote I pulled though. Um, cause it, cause they did think well, like, well, why, why would Harry go to all that trouble just for something, um, that Lasoth said when Lasoth isn't like terribly important to him anymore than kind of any other person. Um, and oh, it was Snape. So it was actually Snape that said he's because Mr. Potter thinks he is God, Severus said without expression. And Lasoth Lestrange fell to his knees before him in a heartfelt cry of prayer. Um, and I like the, I mean, A, it was like, oh, because that's totally true. But um, it, again, there's been a lot in these chapters of like, let's say the thing that we kind of have known all along but haven't been saying out loud that this kind of calls out the weird grandiosity that Harry's had this whole time that's sometimes sort of just kind of misguided but okay and other times is just arrogant and shitty um but that he's got this and it kind of goes hand in hand with the way when Harry asks Quirrell like why am I not like other kids like there is something wrong with Harry Potter um and that 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 is enough like his his head is in such a weird spot that that he thinks like the all these things are his destiny um i did like it too it just sort of like like it was a refreshing restoration of sanity like yeah all of this behavior has been fucking weird harry is a weird kid and it's not a normal way for people to act and like finally somebody is saying that out loud yeah and it, it's nice because like they, they they're not saying oh well of course that's perfectly normal for harry to feel that way they're just like yeah that's that kid's quirk you yeah. know um that's one of his weird things and of course he'd run with that which yeah. actually fits with my harry's mental model of himself as a superhero perfectly right yeah i guess that's true yeah and it seems like it had like more it wasn't just sort of like oh that kid thinks he's god or whatever it seemed like it was that snape was saying kind of something about of significant like he was saying like this is a thing we need to know to keep in mind about harry that he has these strange grandiose ideas of who he is right and it's uh um it i guess at the end of the day it gives them a reason like okay well uh uh, well i guess the the other piece of information that uh snape gets is that lasoth doesn't know uh, anything about the escape um yeah so he does say that he has he has heard nothing, but the instant he learns, he will conclude that the person responsible was Harry Potter. Um, and then Dumbledore is like, "Thank you, that's good news." And Minerva's like, "Good news! Like, <laughs> it's the best possible reason I can imagine for removing Bellatrix Black from Azkaban." Like, let's like, remember, if, it, if it's not Harry, it's Voldemort himself making his first moves. Um, so, like, it as far as uh, um, oh, there was a cutoff line uh, in in Minerva's thinking. Um, right before that it goes by kind of fast she says good news albus looked at her his face expressionless as severus is now and she remembered with a shock that albus's own 
And then he says, it's for, it's the best reason I can possibly imagine. Um, and then he, he goes over and throws some flu powder into the, they don't luckily have to do that thing where it seems like they stick their head into the fireplace. It's always mm-hmm. stuck me as like an awkward posture. I think, uh, I think Dumbledore does do it like right after Snape, I think does stick. Yeah. Cause he sticks his head in the fire to talk to, uh, bones. At the I think ministry. he just throws fire on it and yells for her office. Does he stick his head? Oh, he does. I think he does. Yeah, stick his head in. Yeah, right. Damn it! Yeah. I was hoping they did away with that. You want to see him like, like he's in his like nightgown, roby thing on his hands and knees in the fireplace, shoving his head in the fireplace like he's trying to commit suicide in an oven or something. <laughs> yeah, I, I just always wished it worked more like a phone and less like a. Yeah. A ridiculous like all right let's get all covered in oh that was soot. that really awful uh cgi in the uh i think it was in uh prisoner of azkaban where uh serious black has got like fire face yeah it's like it was just terrible it's totally cr- yeah maybe that's part of why looking. i just like it so much because yeah. it, a looks terrible on screen but b like it does just seem like you could just transfer voice through this thing why don't yeah. you stick my fucking face in the, in the thing but whatever exactly. so he does um and so he's asking, like, all right, what did you learn? And she's like, I've got some information from four hours in the future. Um, and he was like, all right, cool, go for it. And uh, this is where um, I, I love this part because I gave it some thought. This is a uh, I, I, I love the whole, like, you know, plotting uh, the the slitheriness of it all. Um, I, I listened to the chapter twice this week and. On the second listen, I paused to make a note, and that's why it's out of order in our notes, but you managed to put it in order nicely for me. Um, so Bones explains that it, was, uh, that it wasn't a flying fire spell, as they were calling it, but it was a <laughs> muggle artifact. And the that rocker. Exactly. Um, and so they brought in Arthur Weasley from the Misuse of Muggle Artifacts. <laughs> he knows more about Muggle Artifacts than any wizard alive, and gave him a description from, uh, from the R's in the scene, and he cracked it. There's a Muggle Artifact called a Rocker, and they use it, They call it that because you have to be off your rocker to ride one. <laughs> Just six years ago, one of the rockers blew up, killing hundreds of Muggles in a flash, and almost set fire to the moon. Um, which, which is funny because it's all so wrong. the space shuttle, wasn't it? I mean, it was wrong, but like the timing of this is supposed to be like... Uh, 91 right and there's yeah, six years, i don't know yeah i think so that would have been challenger right yeah um which it didn't kill hundreds but it was uh like, it did blow up the what i like about it is like all of that is so ridiculous but mm-hmm. then the next thing she says weasley says that rockers use a special kind of science called opposite reaction <laughs> so the plan is to develop a jinx which will prevent that science from working around azkaban so two things one his his understanding of rockets is like ridiculously far off like to the <laughs> point where if he just picked up any textbook or newspaper he would have been more right um and yet, like <laughs> the the science of opposite reaction, like all right, yeah, uh, we're gonna stop. Kinda, that. yeah, it's, sure. It's gonna stop working that way um, anymore. It's what we're, we've got a spell to make Newtonian mechanics stop working. And that's that's what I put in the note that I thought was really funny. Like, so all right, you, you activate your anti-opposite reaction science uh, jinx. Like, what the hell happens in Azkaban <laughs> when that spell goes off? Like, is it you, I, you, 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 you drop you a tennis walk, ball on the floor and you it don't just move splats. forward? Exactly. Right. Yeah, you, you know, you drop shit on the ground. There's no bouncing. There's no bounce, but like when you go to walk and you go to push forward, you don't move because the you're, oh, you're using the force of your foot pushing on the ground at an angle that moves you forward. Like everything would go fucking haywire. Um, I, I don't know what that would do on, on a cellular lungs, level to your body. Air doesn't come into your lungs. Yeah, it's it's all madness, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> but uh, mainly, out. it was just I like the juxtaposition of how wrong Rockers was and how like <laughs> kind of I guess close enough to right. 
the opposite reaction science was but also like all right let's turn that shit off and it's like wait a minute you're gonna just fucking break <laughs> physics way harder than you know riding it's a broomstick it was inconvenient I, like i said breathing will stop walking will stop um it just i it, it's like they 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 just need to grab a a junior high school level physics book <laughs> anyway i thought it was um interesting that and i guess we knew this it was just kind of interesting to see it called out that like Snape was like, no, they're called rockets, and yeah, Harry will know all about it because, you know, kids his age, yada, yada, yada. I guess we sort of, like, forget that Snape came from that world. Or he didn't really come, like, because he, he, Half-Blood Prince, blah, blah. Was it that, like, his um, his father, I can't remember which one of his parents was a muggle, but they were, like, he wasn't from the muggle world, but he had a parent that was a muggle, but they were only in the wizarding world or something. I forget how it was in canon. I remember Spinner's End being a place in the beginning of the sixth book. Like, that's where the first chapter takes place, I think. His origin Um, story. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of like, like, oh, Snape will know about these. Like, Snape isn't lost in ignorant wizard world. He knows what a rocket is. Yeah, they they give him... I can't remember what exactly his upbringing was like in canon, but in this one, it looks like he was raised in a muggle muggle town. Um I guess it's not clear to me if he went back there for the summers or something or whatever, but he, and I guess the other thing too is like if he was 11 um, when he was going to school, so if he's in his 30s in 1991, like he was uh, alive and a child when they landed on the moon. So like if he was, if he had a TV in his house as a kid, like he'd know, he'd know about rockets in a hot second. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. And if, if he was like, a, I think in part of, like the point he makes is like oh, like all 11 year old boys are into rockets like it doesn't kind of matter like that's just a thing that boys are into right especially boys like harry potter uh, like you know if, yeah, if anyone science uh, boys. in muggle society is going to have an extra interest in rockets it'd be someone like harry who's yeah. just super into science i found myself like now totally wondering like okay where did that like did he did he transfigure the rocket or did he like acquire the rocket like where did that rocket come from well, so we know that he transfigured it. Do um, we? Uh, yeah, okay, I guess we do. Yeah, so he... Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, he, he And I think he was transfiguring the fuel from, like, a frozen ice cube or something. That's right. But yeah. uh, some part of it had to be undone for Quarrel to work on it because he couldn't, like, interact with his magic. Mm-hmm. But they, he somehow bound the rocket that Harry made to the broomstick. Um, what I... This is actually what I like about it because then... Uh, <laughs> oh, I guess there's there's two things I want to jump out on here. It was one... Um, that like uh the there's this moment where like Dumbledore himself is like paralyzed with fear over the possibility that Harry and Voldemort could fight their war with muggle weapons and Minerva's like well I've heard of guns but they aren't that dangerous to an experienced witch and um like he says you know if there will be nothing left of the world but fire and uh it's well I'm trying to find the line because it was nice when I'm I'm taking too long basically like Minerva's coming to the realization that Dumbledore standing there literally paralyzed the spot in horror oh yeah and, and like, she's never seen what? that before yeah exactly yeah like over what like muggle weapons like come on they're not that bad and um like and oh then, it's only slightly worse than the thing that erased Atlantis from time no uh, not worse than that explicitly. Not worse, yeah. oh that's right <laughs> worse than any peril left in these fading years not worse than that which erased Atlantis from time um I only bring that up because that sounds more severe than what even a nuke does. Um, Erasing it from time. That sounds bad. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, so, um, 
then they kind of take some solace in the fact like, all right, well, maybe this is like a message from Voldemort to, to Harry. And again, this is, I think, where maybe you were getting at with like there. Well, what if this message means this? And we'll just do that. Yeah. Um, it It is sort of kind of, I mean, I, I think what it is this is like, like this is their practice like habit of deducing. What was that? It didn't follow. Like the, I would like lose track of what conclusions they were going to because they just didn't seem like, like the one doesn't imply the other. And it just kind of turned into a big glom of a mess. Yeah, I think maybe part of it is like, this is just the habit of thought you get into after fighting Voldemort for 10 years. Yeah. Like everything's well, a coded message, all, yeah. everything's got double meanings. Um, and when it's all done, though, like the conclusions they arrived at were that there wasn't much of a conclusion to arrive at anyway. So Yeah, after their UML diagrams or the time yeah. charts. Um, but the, uh, as far as this goes, oh, that's the line I wanted to pull out, actually. Um, so... Like Dumbledore says that, yeah, Harry might have stolen thousands of galleons from his vault. That was my bad. Um, my bad. And Quirrell sa- or Quirrell, Snape says, uh, in any case, muggle weapons are not easy to obtain. Not for a thousand galleons or a thousand thousand. So like, and he's right. You know, rockets uh, cost a lot of fucking money. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not going to crunch the numbers on what a thousand galleons is. Dollars. But it's not enough to buy a decent rocket. So uh, this is where... It would have been, I'm curious how cool it would have been. Minerva thinks to herself, doesn't Harry just transfigure the devices he uses in battles? Um, but before she could open her mouth to ask, the fireplace erupts in flames and Madame Bones' assistant is there to talk to Dumbledore. Oh, yeah. And there was a, that name, I think, was that, uh, what was his name? Pius Thicknees. Thicknees, yeah. I think that guy becomes the... Um... Wait, isn't he like a vampire? I'm thinking of somebody else. He becomes like the Minister of Magic in the original books, I think. Or no, he's the one that gets um, Imperious or something. It doesn't matter. Well, I've got my I just recognize the name so I'll pull that up while we while we talk about that. But um, I I just like so I was mentioning earlier how you know Minerva didn't really get like a front row seat to being helpful and badass here, mm-hmm. and yet her conclusion or at least her her speculation here doesn't Harry just transfigure the devices he used in his battles is accurate and she doesn't get a chance to voice it mm. and i just thought that that was cool because like yeah she yeah you nailed it that's exactly what he does you don't need to buy this shit you can just make it yeah and uh it's it's a a moment where she she has an insight that they both miss but she doesn't get a chance to say it because this is where the whole whole business comes out about um the uh the potions vial and stuff and you are right. Pius Thicknees is placed under the Imperious Curse and made Minister of Magic. There you go. It says Minister for Magic in the description here, but I'm not going to dig into whether or not that's the right phrasing. So apparently I think that must happen in Book 7 when I wasn't paying attention to the government. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's when uh, yeah, the Death Eaters basically take over the whole government. Nice. Yeah. So... Yeah, with this. Uh, this so yeah, is one get... around. Yeah, and I was because I was kind of lost on the the significance or the meaning of the of the. Now we get to see it's an animagus potion, but the whole it all just was very kind of muddled and and then all of the like oh well it means this they're sending a message and yada yada yada, which is kind of a sloppy mess. I think what it is is like it's it 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 serves two purposes. Like so, Quirrell brought it and left it there. And with the intention of it, I guess, being discovered, should they investigate Bellatrix Black's, Bellatrix Black's cell, um, which he didn't think they would bother doing if she just was found dead. They would just leave her body there until mm-hmm. they needed the cell, then they'd throw her body to the pit. But, like, leaving the potion there, 
I think was a contingency plan for if our plan is discovered, it will deflect blame from Harry Potter, which is exactly what it does. I guess, yeah. It it strikes me as, like, I, I pinged some people on Discord asking about this because I was curious because, like, that seems like it, that's all it's doing, and yet it, it's so significant. I think it's because, like, it's... Uh, it's a clever and original way to break out of Azkaban by turning into an animal. We know that that worked for Sirius Black in the canon version, right? Because they didn't bother checking to see oh, if he's a dog first. Gotcha. And somehow he just paddled his way back to shore. Um, <laughs> he's doggy paddled across the North Sea. Right. So um, in this, apparently, they usually check to see if there's if uh, prisoners if are an anime guy. Yeah. And if they are, they destroy that form. Which I imagine is painful. Um, I've got nothing to base it off of other than ouch. Yeah, I wasn't really sure like what exactly that means, but does it mean like all right, turn into an amagus form and we're gonna smash it with a hammer so, yeah, and you'll it... turn back into a person? Exactly. I have no idea, but when they say destroyed and not like I don't know, taken away, canceled, um, it just sounds so violent. Yeah. So what I think the genius of the potion was like, if this is discovered, um, here's another way she could have broken out of Azkaban. And more importantly, Harry has no reason to know any of this shit, so it will deflect blame away from Harry Potter, and they won't they won't suspect him, which is yeah, exactly seemed, what the potion ends up doing. It it seemed weird because it was put there as a like we that's been a tease for a few chapters now that we know that he put a potion there and we don't know what it was, and it was mentioned a couple times and we still don't get to know what it was, and now that we know what it is, it seems like quite specific what it was in a but in a pretty arbitrary way that doesn't seem to be super significant to the plot. So it's just all kind of confusing. But what, what it makes me think right now is there must be some additional significance to it being an animagus potion that we that we don't know yet. Cause it's all, it's just kind of weird. Like, cause if that's all there is to it and it was just like, then it's just some arbitrary way to create some alternate explanation for how they did it. Um, that seems like a weird thing to have teased for, several chapters yeah i guess the only reason to tease it is like so it's not pulled out of thin air here in this chapter um but it seems yeah it seems like just like very like oddly specific to have just been this one like the specifics aren't at least for right now the specifics aren't terribly relevant to the plot other than it's just some like anything that any plausible thing fits in the plot right there but that seems just like very specific with and then with a lot of explanation around like oh we're going to check for animaguses but it only worked you know you can only get in if they hadn't checked and i don't know it seems like kind of twisting ourselves up in knots for something that at least right now doesn't seem you know anything other than like plot device right here to explain to come up with an alternate explanation is it the whole it was just very confusing there's always the 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 takeaway that if you're confused maybe that's on purpose like well, it so could be that the my, author's laying seeds to that's my theory uh, is that we're going to know something more about this later at least i don't know right on yeah so i guess basically they sit there and they're confused about uh, which actually there's you know it's, it's a small beat but i like it um it says uh it's and so severus is like uh i confess even i did not see why the vial was left there and then dumbledore is like well it's some kind of message and I cannot see what it means, not at all. And he drummed his fingers on his desk. For a long minute or three, the wizard stared off into nothingness, frowning, while Severus also sat in silence. What I like about it is that they're actually sitting there thinking about it for a few minutes, rather than being like, well, that's confusing, <laughs> fuck it, I give up. 
Yeah, again, it's a small beat, but I like it. They're 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 actually trying to think about this for again three solid minutes, which is when you think about which is a like, long time to stuff in yeah. space. Yeah, it's a long time to sit there and, and ponder something. I have bad focus, but uh, <laughs> I know I definitely would have been like part of those three minutes would have been like I wonder what I'll have for dinner. Right. Um. So then, uh, they Severus and Albus, neither of them can can, can conclude what it means. Um. Uh, and then it, I, again, I, I just like this whole kind of highfalutin plotting level stuff. Um, they do conclude that, okay, well, um, if, uh, yeah, this is where he says, um, anyone who wanted to forge that signature would have to be, and would, uh, would have to be as cunning as Voldemort himself to do so. And there's no one else in the world who would accidentally overestimate my wit and leave me a message I cannot understand at all. That's just a weird, like, that doesn't like. You're like, wait, what? That doesn't follow. That doesn't make any sense. Like, just because you're confused, it's Voldemort? Um, no, like, there, only somebody this clever would misunderstand how smart I am. Like, and in the wrong direction. It's like, oh, because it would sort of make sense to say, like, only somebody this clever would then... You could say, only somebody this clever would then underestimate me because they are so arrogant they think they're way smarter than me. But he's saying actually the exact opposite, which is... It, it, I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, um, I think it's like uh, I'm kind of floundering here. Um, I like I was almost like I guess the way I took when I read it was like that was just a a weird shit Dumbledore says moment. <laughs> so I think it's it's like it could just be that you know Dumbledore really is only used to being uh, actually confused by Voldemort. Like everything else, he's been able to figure out for the last century or so. And Voldemort's been the one like person who's so cunning that it throws Dumbledore himself through a loop. And so he's like, all right, well, if, I, if I'm if i totally fucking befuddled here, it's that, that definitely points in Voldemort's direction. And then okay. Severus just kind of tonelessly uh, adds, well, unless he gauged you exactly, in which case that's just what he wants you to think. Which I love that because that's, that's the next level up on the paranoia ladder. It's that's like, well, maybe that's what they Princess want you Bride. to think. <laughs> indeed but even if he's tricked me perfectly we may at least rely on the conclusion that it was not harry potter and the downside is that like okay well great it's not harry but that means that we think it's voldemort right mm-hmm. it's like yeah i guess so and she says what we tell madam bones and i like how serious this is he gets up he straightens his beard and he's like i will tell her what little i know of the dark art called horcrux by which a soul is deprived of death and i will tell her that what it what what will what may be done with the flesh of the servant I will tell her that I'm reconstituting the Order of the Phoenix. I will tell her that Voldemort has returned and that the second Wizarding War is begun. Dum, dum, dum. I liked how that was like all super dramatic and stuff, except for the whole like by which a soul is deprived of death because I'm like, ah, oh, you fucking preachy asshat. It's like, apparently asshat isn't the word for this week, but um, <laughs> well, I think fucking war on Christmas, deathists, blah, blah, blah. I know, yeah. Well, and that's like why it was there. It's like, oh, okay, because Dumbledore thinks that death is good and blah, blah, blah. But for me, I'm just like, oh, it's like this shit. I'm like not on board with the whole like deathist thing. So there. Well, no, no, I hear you. But like, I mean, this, this, I don't think this is painting a, a caricature of deathism. Like this is just like, you know, Dumbledore. Well, yeah, that's a, no, because that's uh, rightly or wrongly believes there's by an which, afterlife. Yeah. By and, which it, but nobody's going to say like a, by which a soul is deprived of death. That was put there on purpose for us to go. Oh, Dumbledore's weird and a deathist. Uh, yeah, I suppose I, I see what you're saying about the, the, the line there maybe being calculated. I, I, I took it to mean like, 
to be sincere. But I do see what you're saying is like, oh, that's a coded message about how dumb Dumbledore is. Yeah. But like, eh, I mean, it's, it's, well, it's magic. Like, for all we know, an, there is afterlife, yeah, you know? Yeah, There's ghosts. But, but, like that is an odd way to phrase that. Like that's not, that's not the natural way to say that. That's how you say that to make sure that Dumbledore says that in the deathiestest way possible. <laughs> Fair enough. Deprived as far as Dumbledore's vocabulary choice, I love and and that the second Wizarding War is begun, not has begun, begun, is begun because that sounds way more serious. I know it's all it's all Gandalfy. It totally is. It's it is funny. Like he does totally come across more as Gandalf in this in these last few chapters. And there's not a goddamn thing wrong with that. Nope. No, he's badass. Gandalf was cool. Um. Yeah. So then we we get a line break, and then some hours later. Some and hours. It's uh, Minerva in her office. Um, At 8.43. Right. You want to drive? You want me to? Uh, well, I, this just sort of seemed like a like a sort of a fade to black moment um, where she's just, I mean, this is just her saying like, okay, she's a, she's about to, she sends her um, Patronus to summon Harry Potter to her office. Uh, and this is like, so they had talked about that when, when they were in Dumbledore's office that, um if Harry had, if Harry was part of all this uh, tomfuckery, that he would have been burning up his six hours of um, time turner time. So they were going to basically make him, uh, make him uh, go back six hours uh, to prove that uh, he hadn't used it at all. Um, so we don't get to see him do, it, but we get. The, so that's the plan, and we get to see that McGonagall has summoned him to his to her office so that she can make him do it. And then it sort of leaves there with that little cliffhanger. Yeah. And it, it is a bit of, bit of a cliffhanger because uh, we know that he can't go back till 3 p.m. Or to, all the way back, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, we've got like two two things dangling are how did uh, how did Quirrell answer the question for why are you a weird kid? And then how does this play out? Well, hopefully we'll find out next week on We Want More. Um, oh, that was good. We should just cut it right there. <laughs> I gotta tell them what chapters we're doing first. <laughs> Damn it! I know that that would have been so cool. Um, we are going to be doing chapters sixty-two and sixty-three. Sixty-three is long, um, but unless we're gonna, do, it would it'd be almost long enough to do on its own. I think this will be one of our longest like uh, word count per like chapter or uh, episodes. But like, unless we're gonna do the short chapter next and then just like wait. Nah, a week. Um, we're gonna roll the next I'm chapter into. The longer chapter, which is sixty-three, so yeah. Um, and again, it does. It's like it seems like word count isn't the primary factor. No, for sure. Uh, there is, in my brief recollection of it, I actually need to be more on track of this. Like which ones I read ahead rather than just skim, because sometimes I'll conflate knowledge from the future. Uh, uh. So I skim ahead rather than read ahead anymore, but. Uh, especially with these with these chapters because they all have the same name, it's easy for me to like kind of just shove them all into one bucket yeah. in my head. Um, so anyway, we will be doing uh, sixty two and sixty three next week, which means that the week after that we'll be doing our retro episode, <gasps> yes. um, which you know unofficially contains whatever from chapter. If I had to pick, which I don't have to pick because someone did it for me, chop these into chat, chop these chapters into books. Um, Let's see, it would be... Oh, my chart is loading super slow. Great, thanks for all your help. Um, it'd be like chapter 38 through 63. But since I'm doing it my way, it, you know, we'll talk my we'll talk a bit way. about specifically like 
the humanism and Azkaban arcs, and then we'll be talking about, you know, just the book as a whole. But more importantly, it's going to be a lot of fun to have Ignaz Brodsky on the show. Yes. So. It's a, another uh, indictment of how hermetically sealed our lives are that the quarantine also doesn't matter. We can, we'll have Ignaz on the podcast, and it also makes no difference. <laughs> We can as just as easily, as... that we're all just sitting in our home offices with a microphone and we could do this all day, people. That's true. Well, don't, t- don't tell people that. They'll think we can do this for, <laughs> you know, more hours than we already do. So anyway, Alrighty. so I just, just to reiterate, just so I like to make it super clear because I hate missing stuff. So I like people repeat stuff. So I'm going to do that for everybody, which is be sure to check out chapters 62 and 63 for next episode. And join us the week after for our retro episode. Good deal. All right. Um, Anything else to add? No, these are cool chapters. I like this this time. Awesome. Bye, everybody. See you next week. See ya.